I think the only thing you could get us all all four to agree on is that Chaos Marines are awesome. <laughs> no, they're not. You're, you're getting I mean, ready to different. use some, Dennis. You can't. Yeah, different. but I don't think they're awesome. <laughs> Their guns it's are freaking awesome. But I think Havocs are awesome. <laughs> but I mean, if you could give those guns to Demonettes and I could have a squad of like 30 Demonettes all with those guns, I'd do it. And then they fall over in a stiff breeze. It would be amazing to see a demonette like trying to fire one of the Gatling guns and just see them like get like propelled backwards. <laughs> that would be hilarious. So, it automatically so, moves backwards six yeah, inches. Yeah, so, so, so we fire it. so we get see Havocs can move and not shoot. My we demonettes can shoot and get moved. <laughs> right. Not, that would also be a cool rule for like a heavy gun Gretchen squad. Yeah. Oh, that oh, would be God. awesome. Oh God, yes. <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that can kick it old school, new school, grad school, trade school, and occasionally skip school. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And uh, this is episode 201, in which we will be talking Old Hammer. We are going, and specifically how it relates to 8th edition. Now, we understand, judging from what our listeners have said, that there's a lot of variant definitions of or a lot of various definitions of what old hammer means to different people. Uh, we'll be getting into specifically what we are talking about when we uh, get to the main segment of our show, uh, but not yet. Uh, before then, we as always, we're going to have news and new releases and uh, your listener mail. And uh, starting off with news and new releases, uh, Raven Guard and Iron Hand supplements uh, went up for pre-order today. And fortunately, we have them in hand now, thanks to uh, GW. Uh, so, obviously, we're not going to be getting into a review of these necessarily, because we would still have to redo the Cursed episode, which is our actual look at the Space Marine Codex. And Dennis was not available for that one, so we would all need to sit sit down and get, kind of go through those books uh, before we got I, back I, into that. I can say my normal take on them is... I like them as codex supplements, and it reminds me of back. Do you remember like the um, Eandon supplement or the Homunculus mm-hmm. Coven supplement? Yeah, it reminds me of that type of thing, and that's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. That and th- as far as the the supplements, they're they're pretty much along the same vein. I'd say more is the White Scars than even the Ultramarines one, because the Ultramarines has like another like ten units in it for like all their characters, and there's a couple of wow. chapter specific units that they have. These two books have one character each, but then otherwise it's like all the supplements or otherwise it's all these stratagems and uh, like new psychic disciplines and such. So it's, yeah, it definitely flushes out the chapters, lets you play specifically as that chapter. Uh, there's the new Cave and Shrike, which we've already talked about at length and yeah, even on the cover of the Raven Guard, like they've got the emo swoop hair going on. It it looks a little better with the. I mean, you can see better that you know. Well, he's got bolts in the side of his head and scars, and he looks decidedly less emo. I think. Yeah, and most of the artwork but, in that book does not feature that haircut. So 
I'm not sure why they decided to go for it go or go with it as the look for the Raven Guard now, because like they've got the upgrades, the Primaris upgrade sprues for Raven Guard, and there's like two or three heads on there. Well, this incursor with haywire mine and Oculus bolt carbine, right? That's with he, the, he's got like this kind of like swoopy hair. Yeah, the name generators. All the uh, all the supplements have name generators now, because that's a thing apparently. I think it's cool. It's a fun little fluff bit. It is of absolutely no use, but otherwise, but for narrative play, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, you should be naming your dudes and kill team. So. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to do kill team, yeah, I have th- that's fantastic for that. Unfortunately, there's no rules for kill team, so in to, there, so there'd be no reason I, I for mean, a kill team player to buy that. To be fair, I'm not naming all seventy of my demonets unless they already play Raven Guard and they want Raven Guardy names. That's true. Like, yeah. and, and they're just in kill team, they'd just be Primaris, right? But they're using the models that are Raven Guard. True. Fair enough. Fair so. Enough. Well, and you when know. you play Wrath and Glory, you got to know how to name your characters, too. <laughs> and when the second edition of Wrath and Glory comes out, that'll mean something. Yep. <laughs> Not to be too rude uh, about it. but uh, uh, Cubicle 7 will do a good job. Of it. Oh, I know. I know they will. <laughs> uh, Ulysses. I don't want to say Ulysses necessarily dropped the ball, but I just don't think they put out a product that was they, quite up to GW standards. I think they were in yeah. over their head a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like what they created is not bad, but... It just needed a bit more. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> so let's see. So yeah. So we've got uh, Forge Father Pharos and Caven Shrike available. And let's see. I'm looking at... I want to look at the Caven Shrike uh, sprue. And yep, it looks like the only, hel- only head they give you is the emo swoop hair. The, the beak... But- the Primaris beaky helmet is only on his belt. Well, they also, in the Raven Guard upgrade sprue, they have, I think, two beaky helmets. Yes, yeah, so, so you would have to buy that and Cave and Shrike and then head swap. Or if you just wanted to change his haircut, cut the hair part off and no. green stuff, some other stuff on. And no, make no it's, it, at that point, just put the helmet on. <laughs> just put well, and honestly, on. like it's the, good to have a helmet on. The, Protect your head. The bit that's on his, uh, that's on his, like you know, the helmet he has on his on his uh, belt. You could easily cut that off and oh. make that work as a helmet. Well, it depends on if the back of it is fully. Uh, I th- if it's yeah, fully fair rounded. enough. Because if it's just I like think, a belt yeah. accessory, it might just be like it might have like a slightly flat back or something to fit. Eh. On. I, I don't know. You can make it work. <laughs> I do like that the Iron Hands Primaris upgrades actually have like bionic arms on them yes and, the, and bionic cool. primaris heads which is cool so yeah so no i i like the uh i i like the new upgrade sprues i still i again i don't know where they i'm i don't know if they're trying to I, I just don't know what they're trying to do with the Raven Guard, like because they, on one hand, they've got kind of this First Nations like uh, feathers and skulls and Ravenclaw kind of vibe, but then the heads all look like Nathan Explosion from Death Clock. So I mean, 
you could do a pre- you could do a pretty awesome death clock themed kill team. I think for Raven card. That yeah, yeah, awesome. you, you totally could. Wow, that would be interesting. <laughs> and like, and then the the strike said totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> now I kind of want to see that. Do do they do they make a head of a dude of like uh, a dude with like a skullet like uh, the drummer has? No, they I'm don't. sure you could green I mean, stuff it. <laughs> Richard, I need you to make me a head. <laughs> I am uh, very Irish. <laughs> Let's see. We also have the new... I'm just going to keep moving on. Uh, the new Eliminators <laughs> box where they've got the uh, last few sills as an option. So you're not limited to just the three from uh, Shadow Spear. And then the Primaris Lieutenant in Phobos Armor who has a like gas grenade dropped in right in front of him. Because I imagine the Primaris Lieutenant channel or channel on Twitter was very happy to have a new Primaris Lieutenant. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he was. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the fact that GW has just taken the fact that everyone was tired of seeing new Primaris Lieutenants and just decided to embrace it and run with it as a joke. I I, <laughs> I, I really respect new GW for for realizing when people are kind of annoyed with them and they just be like okay fine yeah here laugh at us just go ahead and laugh at us it's fine i'm just waiting for the codex supplement primaris lieutenant what do you think is going to be the april 1st product <laughs> uh, oh yeah <laughs> no, no april yeah. 1st is going to be codex primaris lieutenant i can okay. almost guarantee it. i will laugh at that and i might actually like download it <laughs> <laughs> still not as good as the uh guide to rolling dice though <laughs> yeah I really like the painting guide for the um, stealth suits. I thought yeah. that was one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's about it. Uh, the only other thing is, uh, so apparently we were wrong about uh, Dark Angels possibly being the next 2.0 codex. It turns out they're just getting covered in the next White Dwarf. And not and yeah. I, and I think yeah. they're just getting like a painting guide and a new mission and some fluff. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. And I don't think it's anything new rules wise. I think it's just fluff. Yeah, which is a little disappointing, but again, I think in light of the new codex, you'd want to give them like the full codex treatment, and they might be waiting until mm-hmm. uh, their section of uh, Psychic Awakening happens. Oh, Psychic Awakening. I'm starting to get excited for that. Well, especially, especially now that... Oh, that's the other thing. Duh, I completely forgot. They've started... <laughs> uh, they have a Psychic Awakening site, and they've started rolling out some of the Eldar previews. Yeah, I haven't seen all of them because I just saw that where it was in the thing and that it was going to have Eldar, Dark Eldar, so, Harlequins. So uh, what we've got for sure is, did you see the new Banshee Exarch? Kind of. Okay. I so mean, I've seen the model, but I haven't seen any. Did you see that there's two heads for it? No, I haven't seen the second head. Okay. So let me f- bring that up because that's that I think is an important bit of news you're going to like. Because I heard Plastic Aspect Warriors Yes, were obviously we're Plastic Aspect Warriors, but there's more to it than that. Okay, so the first prophecy, and an Exarch. So we've got the uh, the Exarch with dual mirror swords. Yeah. So. I have not seen that one. What's more, Psychic Awakening Phoenix Rising, which is the first book, right. includes loads of additional rules. I like that will, the name. Yeah. That will make this incredible new model even cooler. For example, you can swap out your Exarch's Warshout ability with one of six different Exarch powers exclusive to Howling Banshee Shrine. Oh, dang. Since you guys know I like Banshees. For example, if you're expecting to face some elite infantry such as Terminators or Custodes, try taking Piercing Strike, which will enable you to forsake one of your three attacks 
for hugely empowered killing blows. And the rule is piercing strike when this unit is chosen to fight with a howling banshee exarch in this unit that is equipped with an executioner can make a piercing strike. If they do until the end of the phase, subtract one from their attacks characteristic and add three to the strength characteristic of the howling banshee exarch. And that executioner has a damage characteristic of three. So you could just straight up kill a custodes with that. That's pretty useful. <laughs> in addition, or in fact, if you want your Exarch to represent one of the most dedicated champions of their order, you can use the Exemplar of the Banshee Shrine Stratagem, which is a 1 CP stratagem. Use the stratagem before the battle when you select a Howling Banshee Exarch power from the list opposite. You can take that ability in addition to Warshout instead of replacing it. You can only use the stratagem <laughs> once per battle. I, I really like that. And then here's the other variant Exarch that the kit makes. Yes, that's the one I've seen. Is the helmet or the maskless. Yeah, I'm not exactly fond of the maskless. Okay. So mm-hmm. the reason they have the maskless is because that's an Inari Exarch. Uh, For they walk a very different path. So they're going to talk about, like, later on, they're going to reveal some of the differences between Inari and Craft World. Oh my gosh, does this mean the Inari are going to get a Phoenix Lord? No, they're getting squatted. <laughs> no, but, but I think what it does mean is that the we're going to see Inari. I think we'll see an Inari Codex where they play differently. They play that's extremely what I, differently. That's what I've been wanting to see. Like we're going to see things like Inari Dark Reapers that are no longer just like Dark Moving Reapers you. that do yeah that yeah. do more. Um. So, uh, yeah, I'm. And also, it, what it sounds like, it what they're kind of hinting at is like the Inari don't get lost in the path, the warrior path, the way that Exarchs normally do. That makes sense because the whole idea with the helmets is like you aren't you anymore. You True. are just the exemplar of this fighting style. You have no you have no self anymore. And so, yeah, I'm I'm excited for for what this means for Eldar and the fact that maybe yeah maybe Inari. Maybe Psychic Awakening Phoenix Rising will also serve as like the Inari code, like Inari Codex. Yeah, that would be cool. And also just the fact that we brought up new Banshee rules. I can dust off the Banshees and play them again. Yeah. Because they have not <laughs> been 40K. Yeah, in Index 40K, they were pretty, pretty good. But yeah, they haven't kept up. And this is also possibly the chance to pump love into the. Well, that's a bad phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> especially if slanesh is involved we do not say slanesh we said banshees well yeah it's eldar slanesh are going to be involved somehow but uh, if they're going to uh sh- if they're going to try to bring other aspects of the eldar codex up to par i mean the the current eldar codex isn't bad craft world codex isn't bad but and there's lots of fun units in there but there aren't that many that are the hyper optimized win the game <laughs> and i think it also says something that like some of the craft world units are almost too specialized to really fit in lists well and so having the ability to, like oh yeah you can take this unit but then here's this list of powers you can give them and you can spend a stratagem to just give them the power instead of swapping out warshout it's it gives them a lot more flexibility. I think it'll make those armies a lot more interesting on the table. Yeah. I mean, I would be, th- I would, I've been th- contemplating getting another box of Banshees. Maybe I would it, hold off until the, well, yeah, I'll, I'll hold out. off till the plastics come out, but it would be fun to see like three or four squads of Banshees running around with Jane's on the avatar. Yeah. 
and maybe Asherman because mm-hmm. he's still also, super good. It'd also be nice to see a new plastic Jane Czar. Yeah, maybe. As they're rolling out Primaris plastics for these supplements, I'm wondering if, like, when they get to uh, like Salamanders, will we get a plastic Primaris Vulcan Heston? And when yes, we probably. get absolutely, and here's the interesting one: when we get to Imperial Fists, who's going to get the Primaris treatment? Because is it going to be Lysander? Because we don't have a really good Thunderhammer Storm Shield Terminator equivalent for Primaris. Like, where is he? Well, fit I think in? I think he gets um, he gets upgraded to Gravis Armor, and you give him like a cool. I think you can still give him a Thunderhammer Storm Shield in Gravis Armor, and just not make it an option for like other people in that armor. Well, and hopefully they'll make it because uh, Premier Sergeants can actually take Thunderhammers now. They can't take Storm mm-hmm. Shields, but they can take Thunderhammers. Um, and also, it makes me wonder since all of their characters are currently fine cast, if we'll see Premier's versions of any of the Black Templar characters. Yeah, or uh, Pedro. Yeah, Pedro Cantor would be nice to see update update because that that is a book that has the potential to have more just as many characters as the uh, Ultramarines one, even though like only Tigerius got updated, but then Marnius Calgar had already been, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm I am really excited to see, and and because they're like rolling out some of these things, like there's not really any. I don't really think there's anything that's off the table at this point as far as like new plastics characters getting re-envisioned. I th- I think everything is is potentially viable at this point. I mean within reason obviously, but but I I think that uh fe- like th- I really do think like the psychic awakening because that's going to be their next year's worth of books like I think Codex. I think once Sisters Codex is out, they're done. Other than the occasional 2.0 update for like some of the Marine books. Mm-hmm. Even and, though technically they can kind of skate on that because they've got the PDFs that give them all the new units. And then, and then maybe since we've seen all these supplements, maybe in addition to instead of Codex, has put out some supplements for people. Yeah, like maybe have a Homunculus Coven's redo that supplement for the Dark um, Eldar and. And who knows, maybe like you said, Yunari will get a sup. Well, I don't think they should get a supplement, but uh, I don't know. Do that. I'm hoping, I, I hope we see more of them <laughs> in Phoenix Rising. No, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think Psychic Awakening, yeah, it has the chance to really diversify the field as far as like what's viable and what options are reasonable. And it's, and like, especially for Eldar, it is way past time for them to have plastic aspect warriors at this point agreed and i think the other biggest thing i'm i'm thrilled that this is eldar but i was just excited to see them progress the story yeah and now you're gonna get both and i think that brings us over to listener mail as always these letters are written by you the listeners and if you want to know how to get your letter read on the air uh we'll let you know how at the end of the segment so first off our first letter is from charles fox it's very simple one line letter but i think it says volumes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Charles Wright, <laughs> do you feel that you should be giving list advice considering how you place in tournaments? I feel and, personally attacked. <laughs> I, well, and here's the thing: I think you, you know, it you could it, it could it would be easy to take it as a personal attack, but I think it's a fair question. Totally a fair question. 
I, I do. Th- I mean, we we regularly talk about how well we don't do at tournaments, and yeah, yeah. those who can do, those who can't teach. Yes, those who can't. <laughs> oh, yes, oh. Those, who, those who can't talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, I want to know what people think makes us qualified to talk about any of this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, and it's like, are you blaming us for giving the advice or for the people who send in list review requests? <laughs> Like, should we just like, oh, no, 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 we can't talk about that. We're not possibly good enough. Um, oh, you were going to say. So I would say, like I said, you, it would be very easy to just get personally like offended at this. But I'm not. I'm, I'm absolutely not offended because I do think it is absolutely a fair question. And I think there's a few aspects to this. Probably more than a few, but we'll just touch them. Yeah, it's like we only have so much time to talk. But uh, so first of all, um, I I think we've all we've always been upfront about how we do in tournaments. But I also would think that a lot of the list reviews we get, while some of them are for like, hey, I've got an event coming up, that's not necessarily all of them. So sometimes it's just like, hey, I want to see if I can do this thing. Do you think this list will do the thing that I want it to do? And you don't necessarily need to be a high-end tournament player to look at a list and say, like, okay, yeah, I could see how it would do that thing, but have you thought about this or have you thought about that? It's like, this unit might do that better. Or, hey, these units all do that, but if you look at how they work together, the synergy is not quite there. Right. The, the main thing we looked at the list was how can we tweak it without um, changing changing your theme? Right. Because that's yep. like... It's like if we were coming at this from a, a purely competitive standpoint and somebody said, hey, I want to, like, tell me a good Eldar list to play. I could very easily say, well, you know, Ben Sherwin plays a really good Eldar list. Go go mirror that. Or, hey, uh, if you want to play Chaos, you should just play Lords Discordant and Daredeo Dreadnoughts because that's the big hotness right now. That would be very easy to do, but it may not be at all what somebody's really asking. And uh, there's a couple other things about that. For one thing, tournament performance, and, and I'm not, I am not trying to sound defensive here. Absolutely not. <laughs> tournament performance is based off way more than deck design. Now you can absolutely deck design. See, I'm looking at Richard with magic cards. Um, <laughs> list composition. List, yeah. Tournament performance is determined by way more than list composition. However, you can absolutely lose the game at the list level by just bringing absolute garbage. <laughs> he, he, he's looking at me. He's not I, trying to look at me, but he's I, looking at me. Well, you're sitting across from me. I can't, I'm like, I'm actually trying to look between you and Richard. So I'm not targeting anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but that's a fair statement. I can like speak to that is back when we first started the podcast and everything, I felt like I had more time. We got in more games we played more, so I got to try out my crazy ideas against you guys. Yeah. And then when I went to a tournament, I had a more competitive list because I'm like, okay, I've played all my fun. Now let's like play some serious thing. I don't have as much time anymore. I don't get as many games in anymore. So sometimes I'll, actually most of the time, I'll take fun lists that I know aren't competitive to these tournaments. And that's kind of why I don't do as well because as Rob said, my list composition is not a competitive list. Right. It's more of a, a fun list. Well, it's like you took mm-hmm. like last year at Iron Halo. The you took the uh, Slanesh. Sl- you took Slanesh Demons. Slanesh Demons were not good. No, they were not good in Eighth Edition. But you wanted to take them just to see what you could because they're fun. They're fun. I like when I went to Show Me Showdown this year. I took the Talonar list. 
I figured it would probably do okay, but it was more to see does will this thing actually work now that I can take it within a two thousand point list and have enough stuff left to support it? Can I actually make this work? Turns out, yeah, I can, but that's not. But I didn't take it with the sense of I'm going to take this all the way to the top. Not at all why I took it. And it, there's also something to be said about the fact that despite what some people may tell you about like net listing and things like that. 40k is not a point-and-click game. You cannot just mirror somebody's list and then take it to a tournament and expect to do equally well with it. I cannot take the list that Matt Root plays to a tournament and do Matt Root-style performance. So that takes to the second mm-hmm. point. The first point is list composition. Yeah. second point is generalmanship. Yes, because there's way more... If... If what, I took, give give Matt my Slanesh list, yeah, to no, no, seriously. <laughs> if you swapped lists with somebody else, um, you would probably you would not. I can almost like if you swapped lists with a top tier competitive player, you would probably not do as well. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> as they did, they would probably do better than your than you did. Although they might not, but they wouldn't do as well as they would with their optimized, right? Because. Because like they're, my Slanesh list would probably bring them down to like middle of the pack because because their generalmanship would, would carry them up, but the list would bring them down. Right, and the other part of that is like, but they know things like, but from a competitive standpoint, they understand things in the current competitive scene that you might not as much from just not playing, playing as, as often, much. like. Target priority. What do I like? What should I need to do? What do I need to look out for? How do I handle particular threats? And that comes from the the third part of generalship is just repetition, playing a list Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. It's like playing a card game. If you play magic, you play the same. If you want to play magic competitively, you play the same deck over and over again against other decks in the current meta over and over again so that you figure out what tricks you need to beat their tricks and 40k is the same kind of thing you're going to play competitively you've got to just play and play and play and play i'll toss out the hidden fourth one what's the hidden fourth one we well, can't tell us if it, now it's not hidden great oh, the great. dice yes dice will always be a factor in the end of the day at the end of the day this is a dice game you will well, i think it's oh sorry Oh, so no, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the dice because I think the dice kind of loops back around to list building because I think the best lists that you – this is a dice game. There's out. dice probabilities, <laughs> obviously. But the best lists that get made right now control dice, um, You know, give you plus ones, re-rolls, buffs that, that allow you to manipulate the dice. And I think that's a part of the strategy too is that if you don't kind of build in fail-safes for the dice, mani- you know, dice manipulation, I think that's also a big part of, of the current edition of this game. Oh, yeah. It, both in, in the sense of mitigating the effect of luck on your army and making it more difficult for your opponent, such as like Alatok Flyers. Why are the Flyer decks so good? I keep saying decks. We spent too much time <laughs> talking magic before we started recording. Yeah. Why are Alatok Flyer lists so good? Because they apply multiple negative one penalties that stack and make it really hard for your opponent to deal with. Plus, they provide enough damage dealing on their own to deal with what you bring to the table. So it's you're, it's kind of lose lose for their opponents. You know, part of it is we aren't trying to make super optimized lists, but also because w- what we can do will only take you 
one part of the way. The other two thirds or three quarters, depending if we want to include the dice in there, that's all repetition and tweaking and take and then pushing it further and pushing it further and finding out what does really work. Like we can theory hammer all day long and we're glad mm-hmm. to theory hammer for people. And the main reason we haven't done list reviews lately is because we've been trying to keep time shorter and the meta has changed so much so rapidly that uh, it's hard to keep up with that and provide useful information. And also I will admit we sometimes there are some things like we have gaps in our knowledge. Uh, for example, people who send us guard list reviews, we tend to get kind of raked over the coals afterwards because like, yeah, you guys obviously don't play guard because we you, don't <laughs> because if you did, you would know this, this and this. And that's a fair cop. You know, that's a that's a fair criticism that, uh, yeah, we don't know guard that well. Or when the. Lord Discordant first stats first came out. I looked at him and said, "Oh, it's a Warpsmith on a Mauler Fiend. Neither of those are particularly amazing in this current edition." I was completely wrong. I was so wrong on multiple levels. And now I said they were good from the get go. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> so I that that's mea culpa, but that's because I didn't look at it the right way. And right. Well, and I play and I play chaos more. So like I exactly. have a different perspective. And that's that's the ultimate thing that we're trying to do with our list reviews, I think, is we're just trying to provide additional perspective. We're not saying you have to do this, follow our advice with that. We're just wanting to look at it in from four other perspectives when people send in those requests. Yeah. And it's it is just and it and also, as Dennis pointed out, we are just trying to look at how can we make your theme how can we tune it a bit? How can we make that theme work a little bit more without losing what makes that list that list? Like what, what is the flavor that you're going for? And if most competitive lists are going to be like, well, what wins me the game? Like, what can I play to win the game with this faction? Which that is a flavor. That is a flavor, but that's generally not the kinds of lists we receive. And I'm not saying that people who are writing into us don't want to do well. Obviously, they do because they want somebody's feedback on look at this and figure out what I could do to tweak it or what do you think of this? And some of the lists people write in and we're like, yeah, no, I can't think of anything. This does all the things. It seems like it does all the things that it should do. So play it and let us know how it does. And that's that, that last part. It's the vital part is like, let us know how this does. Because unless a lot of times we don't have the opportunity to like build these lists and play them through multiple iterations or even one iteration in some cases and be like, yeah, it's all theory hammer. So we don't have to necessarily do well ourselves to talk about lists but i do think it's fair to always take our advice with a huge grain of salt because if you're coming to us for top tier competitive uh analysis that is not what we are yeah and i don't think we've ever claimed to be otherwise yeah we've never once said that like yeah follow our advice and you'll win gts it's uh (laughs) follow our advice and you'll have fun with your list (laughs) follow our advice and, and we can tell you how to get to a gt yeah, well, I, I think yeah. Kevin has smart acidly said that. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when Kevin wins a GT, that'll mean something. <laughs> yep. Hey, I have finished in the top eight more often than anyone else on this podcast. That is true. That's true. That is true. Um, so, well, so that's, that's, that's but that's a also challenge. a good. Well, that's also a good example though, because uh, the the two. I mean, probably the two biggest success anybody on the podcast has had at a GT is when I finished in the top sixteen at. We're going to get open and I finished the top eight at Flying Monkey. 
that was on the back of like a three or four year stretch where I played nothing but that one army through like two editions of the game. So that right there more than anything proves that it's just repetition and getting familiar with your army more than anything else uh, of list building or theory hammer. It's just being familiar with your list and getting lucky with dice yeah. matchups. And if you look at like when I go to events, I tend to jump from faction to faction to faction, not because I am chasing the new hotness, but more because like a new thing has struck my fancy. So I spent a long time playing different variations on Tau, and then I jumped to uh, and I played some Black Templars in there. And then I jumped to Sisters and Sisters and Knights, and now I'm jumped back to Tau again, uh, and then I'll probably be vast and then like for friendlies i play death guard because why not but you'll notice i'm not playing the same thing over and over and over again i tended Mm -hmm. and i've fallen into a habit where it seems like show me showdown i play custodes iron halo i play slanesh renegade open i play eldar yep (laughs) so it's like i I play a different faction depending on where i go not what year it is yeah so if we were truly like competitive players, we would just play the same thing week in and week out for months and do, you know, tweaks to it as new stuff came out to account for it or find an army that, oh, this does the thing you're trying, I'm trying to do, but even better and then change that up. Well, I'm kind of doing that with my Slanesh list. I throw in the Havocs. You did throw in the Havocs. I'm very proud of you for taking that stuff. <laughs> I, I words cannot uh, express how proud I am of you for it, for embracing power armor. So so now we'll just have to see if I can get rid of the spoon. Yes, and speaking <laughs> of which, speaking of which, in two weeks uh, we will be at which will be one week by the time you hear this due to editing lag. Uh, we will be at Iron Halo. Dennis and I are attending, and we have confirmed that if you go to twitch.tv slash Iron Halo, I believe that's the URL. I'll make sure I've got the correct yep. one in the show notes. Uh, that first round on Saturday morning, Dennis and Nathan Martin will be on the stream first round to determine who is not the biggest loser? Or I guess who is the biggest loser? No, I like who is not. Who is not the biggest loser? So who, whoever wins is not the biggest loser. Right. Because both of them have gone uh, zero and five, or basically dead last. Both of them have gone dead last at two different GTs, including at each other's GTs. <laughs> and so it is time to determine whose cuisine reigns supreme. And... Uh, who uh, who who is the biggest loser? And so, uh, Dennis is bringing his Slanesh uh, Havocs and Harlots, which is what I'm calling it, and you can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> uh, to the uh, to the stream. This has been confirmed with Jason Horn, who's running the Iron Halo. That we are going to be on, or he is going to be on stream, and we can promote it. So yes, you're gonna get to see the throwdown for the wooden spoon. I'm actually looking so forward not to this. A- so it's so it's a uh, twitch.tv backslash Iron Halo TV. Iron Halo TV. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to be uh, calling that stream. So I'm going to be doing color commentary. Um, so you'll get to hear me at six in the morning or seven in the morning local time uh, trying to coherently talk about 40K with no editor. So uh, if you want to know what Rob, if you want to appreciate what Rob has to deal with get cleaning up the episodes and why it takes a week to edit episodes, you should just uh, you should tune in 
to watch Dennis play, but also to hear me struggle to you know speak a human language. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun. I I think it's going to be lots of fun, and I think Kevin, you made the comment. It's it's nice to see how not not optimized lists will play on a stream. Absolutely. I yeah. I and that was one of the things that like Jason and I were talking. Because like I said, I've used I've been watching a lot more of the Twitch streams because it's a way to stay up on the local meta back home, and and it's you know a, after a couple of rounds, it's the same people. It's Ben Chirwin, it's Matt Root, it's Sam Henley, and not that they're not good players that you can't learn from, but after several rounds in the event, you're watching the same types of players, the same types of list, the top 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 level, and that's not an accurate representation of the hobby. Because if somebody were to turn in and just flip on day, you know, day two of Iron Halo and see Ben Sherwin and Sam Henley playing for the the championship, they may look at that and go, oh, I can't play it this way. I can't do the things they do. And they might get discouraged. No, I, I, I want to see a variety of different games. I would love to see like narrative games get, stre- you know, get streamed more or friendly games or something like that just to get the variety of those types of games out there into the uh, – you know, out out onto the internet so that people know that no, there's no real wrong way to play this game. Well, there will be a wrong way, and it's going to be played by whoever lost this game. <laughs> hey, I am looking forward to getting giving the spoon okay. up. You, there's 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 no like there are poor ways to play. There's no wrong way to play. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I don't know if you, if, if you throw your models around the table or gently nudge them with your arm when your opponent's not looking. Those might yeah, be that's... wrong ways. Those are the wrong ways to play. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. We'll have a good clean game. Yeah. Oh no, I yes. I imagine you guys will have a fantastic game. I'm 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 only sad I won't be able to watch it because I'll be playing a game myself at the time. I'm sure Twitch so TV the games, s- saves the replays. Oh yeah, I'll watch it uh, afterwards. I just won't get to watch it when it happens. Yeah. yeah, Jason uploads all of his all of their Twitch streams up to YouTube like a week later. So, so I'll look forward to watching them the week after. And we'll also be recording from Iron Halo, so we will have an episode coming out around the time that the Twitch streams go public for download. So if you aren't able to watch it, you'll be able to hear about it and then watch the game afterwards. <laughs> so that is Twitch TV slash Iron Halo TV. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have links to that in the show notes and we'll be sure to promote it uh, as we get closer and closer to Iron Halo. So this should be a lot of fun. All right, next up, a uh, letter from Red Rabbit. Red writes, Dear Profemines, how are y'all doing today? Good, I hope. I'm writing today with a hobby question, since putting models together is my least favorite part of tabletop wargaming, along with painting. I'm about to put together 30 Skatari Rangers and a, four y- and a few units of Corpuscari, because Fulgurite priests are heretics and should be exterminated. And I need some advice before I start this venture. I know putting together that many models for y'all is a typical Wednesday, but to me, that's a metric fuck ton. I hear you there. Anyway, It's a lot. It is. <laughs> Anyways, in the past, when I've put these models together, I always have the issue of getting tons of super glue all over my fingers, which bugs me to no end. I've considered wearing nitrile gloves, but I'm afraid I'll end up with a bunch of tiny pieces of gloves stuck to my models. <laughs> what advice would you give for this predicament? I've read that acetone is supposed to be good for getting super glue off skin, but I've never had any luck with this. It just makes my hand smell like a nail salon, and I just end up peeling the glue off my fingers over the course of the next few days anyway. What do y'all personally do? I use Loctite Super Gel, by the way, if that helps. Also, those new Admech tanks are pretty sweet, right? I sent a letter to y'all a few months ago complaining about Admech's lack of of transports and of (laughs) non-Chicken Walker tanks, and now we have both. (laughs) 
Anyway, you guys are awesome. Congratulations on y'all's 200th episode, by the way. Here's the 200 more. Comradedly, Red Rabbit. And then they added uh, a few lines of binary, which translates to glory to the Omnissiah. <laughs> so before we get too deep into this, I want to point out the fact that he has a weird line where he just says that Fulgrite priests, which are the ones with the staves, are heretics, but the ones that literally shoot lightning out of themselves are not. I think that's a weird defin- distinction. <laughs> True followers of the Omnissiah wouldn't need staves when they can channel the holy electricity directly I, through themselves. I'm just saying it's a weird difference. It's a weird <laughs> distinction to make. They both seem like they both seem chaotic to me. But <laughs> they both seem like heretics. Um, <laughs> Yeah, if you can chant, I, I believe whoever can channel the motive force without ex- extensive tooling uh, should be the superior. So I, I, I'm down with Red Red's choice of Corpusari. Okay. As, as, as for the glue, then yes, that going back to the, glue, the, cor- the, the actual question, question yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rather than who's a heretic or not. Um, I don't know exactly what to say because I think of the group here, I'm probably the one that uses the most glue. <laughs> I don't know. I've used a lot of glue recently. No, I, I mean on models. <laughs> I've used a lot of glue on models. I was putting together all my Blood Angels Premier stuff, and that's those. All, the Primaris models are actually a surprisingly large number of pieces per model. Okay, well, I was more meaning, right. and you, you guys and tell you, me to make sure I use less glue when I'm gluing my models together. Like, well, okay, you don't that, use that, that is, much true. Of course, there there is there is the fact that I know Rob's put together. Um, Noise Marines, old school noise, oh, noise oh. Marines, and like metal and plastic together. Not, not good. Yeah. And, and I've done some of those. And yeah, those, those will and, end up with lots of glue. And, and believe me, I have ended up with the one yeah. does not simply walk into Mordor. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I know, um, a friend of ours, Brady, uses a lot of super glue. Uh huh. And actually for pretty much any kind of glue. He puts it on a paper plate and then applies it with with a with a toothpick, um, paper clip, paper clip. Okay, yeah, paper clip. or or a, a toothpick would work as well. Yeah, using a, a very precise applicator. Yeah. makes a big difference. Yeah, because I I I kind of don't do that. I use the gel and I put the gel on and then I hold the two things in place and sometimes some sticks out and I try and clean it off with my finger and then I'm like, okay, I got it on my finger now. Also, using gel, I would only use gel if I have something that's going to have gaps that need filling. I would tend yep. to lean more towards like a thinner, like a Loctite Professional or something yeah. like that. I I really like the Loctite Professional. It is hands down my favorite glue. Yeah, and so go ahead. I would I would say as well, like if you're working on things like Rangers and uh, Corpscari, uh, don't use super glue. Like the 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 GW plastic glue is fine. I don't like it as well, but uh, Testers plastic cement is amazing you just have to again be very careful put it onto an app you know uh, uh, put it onto a, a, a another thing and then kind of applicate it directly to the model because it will like melt some of the detail of the model if you use too much yeah but i like those because those i i, I don't like working with super glue <laughs> um so i like trying to use plastic cement whenever possible if i have to use super glue i always use loctite professional and then there's also since you kind of mentioned the acetate and the go into the nail salon there is a uh thing called let's go uh which is a, a uh they use it nail salons to dry the um the nail the nail cement when they put it on people's fingers 
it's a uh, an accelerator for super glue. It's like two dollars for a eight ounce can that I've used like a quarter of in like two years. Um, and it's it's amazing. It works really great. It makes it dry fast. It doesn't get make it cloudy. It doesn't bubble or anything like that. It you you know, so if you're working on like metal models, you take you put a little bit of the professional on a plate, you applicate it, you know, with a paper clip or something, hold the piece together and then spray it with that. And it'll be dry enough to stick together almost immediately. Yeah. Using a zip kicker or some other accelerant on on super glue will make it set very quickly. And if you're if you're very uh, careful with how much you apply, yeah, you can definitely get some good effects. I personally have been using a lot of the GW plastic cement. Uh, I do like it because mm-hmm. it. A couple of reasons I like it is a, it does not stick to fingers. It yeah. because my fingers aren't made of plastic, yeah. so strangely enough, it doesn't stick to them. Uh, it also has a built-in precision applicator. It's got a thin metal tube, yeah. and because it's a metal tube, the glue won't bond to the tube, so it's very easy to keep clear. And uh, it's a thin glue. You can apply very, uh, just very small amounts. I also like plastic cement, whether it's testers or GW, because you're not just sticking two pieces of plastic together and having a layer of other plastic or like other like cyanoacrylate being a bond between them. When you're using a plastic cement, it's actually melting the two plastics and forming them, the, the two plastic pieces, and then they bond together into one piece. Yeah. So, like, if you drop a model that's been super glued, you're likely to get snaps along your joins because the super glue will break off. That, you know, you've got weak points there. If you do that with something that's been uh, bonded with plastic cement, you won't get those kinds. You might get breaks in other places, but you won't get breaks at your joins because there's there's no break there. They are a solid piece at that point. Um, a couple of things you do need to be careful of with plastic cement. Kevin alluded to it, which it will melt detail if you're not covered because it's literally softening the plastic yeah. and melting it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also like if you're going to use your hands a lot to get like arrange things, then you might actually want to use nitrile glows, not because you're worried about sticking your fingers to it and not because you're worried about sticking pieces of glue or pieces of glove to your models, but because you don't want to leave fingerprints on the models because it will soften them to the point where your fingerprints will show up. So here's a question there. Um, Instead of like using glove, if you didn't have the gloves, how would the um, GW claw put things together tool work? I really don't think the claw works that well for that. Purpose. I I have one, but I have actually mm-hmm. yet to use it. So, so I, I think I've, I've used mine a couple of times and it's, it's good from the perspective, like the few times I've used it, I've used it with the accelerator. So I've got a model, you know, in the, in the, you know, on the handle with little claw, like holding the arm in place where I want the, where I want it to stay. I put a little drop of super glue there get it positioned so that it's staying and then I hit it with the accelerator and then usually I'll let it set for a few minutes. And then by the time I come back and take the claw off, usually it's in the right spot. So you still want to be careful. Like I still make sure that stuff, let stuff set and kind of cure for a little bit before I start handling it too much. Yeah. But the applicators, the applicator does, you know, the little arm claw does, does help. Yeah. Now again, if you're using like a plastic cement, you still want to be careful because the, 
Mm. Claw, the claw has little claw teeth on it. And it if, does. And if you're yep. not careful, it could leave marks on the plastic. Also, if you're going to use acetone to clean your fingers, do it well far away from your models because yep. acetone yes. will melt plastic mm. models. It melts plastic. That's what it do. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. The, when I saw, I'm going to use acetone, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and <Please> don't <laughs> and be and be careful if you're using things like acetate or some of the accelerators or even the testers. Uh, I use the testers red as I call it super toxic um, because there's, there's testers comes in two. There's a there's a blue plastic cement uh, which is the non toxic and there's a red which is super toxic. I guess so there's no like determination on it. I think the red one joins better. It does, uh, yeah. but the, it does give off fumes. And if you were sensitive to that. You have to do it in a well ventilated area because it, it, it's it is if you're doing if you're sitting there and you're doing it for like sixty models at a time, it's you're it's not going to be good. You're going to see <laughs> you're going to you're going to taste colors and see sound after a while. I mean, and you or know, you if it's a Friday night, you want to do that. That's fine. Um, <laughs> one thing I will say also the difference between cement and uh, super glue is cement does not bond as quickly. Especially if you're talking super glue with an accelerator. Super glue with accelerator bonds very quickly. And sometimes you'll even see people like at tournaments, if they have a model break, they'll break out super glue, especially if they're, you know, if they have an army where it's like, yeah, I have to fix this all the time. Super glue and then they'll hit it with accelerant and it'll bond very quickly so they can get back mm-hmm. to playing with it, you know, after the round. But, uh, with cement, you're gonna have to hold the piece in place while it bonds. Now, depending on, like, GW's newer models are generally pretty good about it. Uh, and also the models that you're, that Red Rabbit is working on are all just plastic. So yeah. they'll bond just fine. Uh, s- uh, plastic cement will not work on resin. It will not work on metal. It will not work on fine cast. It will not bond plastic to any of those materials. It will only bond plastic to plastic and really only bond, like, GW or most other mod, like, GW or Warlord or like the like primarily like is it PVC plastic or whatever yeah. mm-hmm. it'll bond that together it won't bond anything else so if you have like if you're building Forge World models you'll need super glue absolutely yeah but if you're yeah if you're gonna work with super glue yeah the technique that uh, Richard described from our friend Brady is yeah apply it on a you know put it on a plate. You know, small amounts of it because you obviously don't need to make a huge puddle of it because then right. it'll just harden on the plate. Yeah, you'll you'll just waste too much glue if you put too much on. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, just apply with yeah, apply a small amount with a precision applicator such as a bent paper clip, and you should be fine. And that will help keep your fingers off of it, keep the glue off of your fingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so definitely, uh, uh, you've got. Uh, You've got options, but I would also, like, in this case, I would also stay away from Loctite gel unless, like I said, you're working on an older model that's going to have, like, gaps in it that are going to need something to kind of fill it up a little bit. You'll get a better result with Loctite Professional in general. Yeah. All right, next one from Robert Jenkins, and he writes... Any speculation on what the 25 miniatures for the Sisters of Battle army set due in November might be? Been trying to figure out the contents. So this is a Twitter interaction that we had after I was posting the uh, links from the Nova, um, the Nova preview where they announced sisters and like gave out the, you know, did the preview for the box coming out in November. So I took a a shot at replying and said, well, here's what I think the 25 models might be. And I kind of wanted to just get everyone else's opinion on this. If this sounded fine, you know what they thought, what they wanted to see in the, in there. 
So I said uh, one canonist, uh, ten sisters of battle, probably two five uh, women squads, uh, three seraphim, the new plastic penitent engine, five repentia, which is four sisters of repentia, mistress of repentance, and uh, five person dominions squad, dominions which would be like or, the heavy weapon or dominions uh, or heavy special or retributors because retributors are the heavy weapon squad. Oh. Uh, Dominions well, the are the that, special weapon, like the Flamer Meltagun squad. Either either one, basically, of like, hey, here's, you know, multi-melta, here's a Meltagun, you know, that that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those two, basically uh, uh, another five-person, you know, another five-sister squad, uh, but with special or heavy weapons. What is, did, did it, Rob, this is more specifically for you, but did you have any input, anything you want to see in that, or anything that you think might be in there based off what we've seen so far? I, I don't think you're far from from what what we're likely to see in that box. Um, we definitely are going to see the new canonists. We're definitely going to see a ten sister squad. Um, I'm pretty, uh, and I I would be surprised if we don't see the penitent engine in that box. Mm-hmm. After that, yeah, I think we know that the the mit, or that we know that the repentia models have been like shown in photos, so mm-hmm. it would. I would be surprised if we don't see them. And uh, yeah, I think a unit of five would totally make sense as far like three Seraphim actually kind of fits the way they've been releasing like jumping or flying units in recent, recent sets, both in uh, age of Sigmar and in uh, 40k where you tend to see like three Mm -hmm. inceptors, three of like this flying creature, this three of this, three of that. Um, So that, that probably fits. Although the weird part is, if three is going to be a legal choice for Seraphim, because that's the other thing is depending on what unit sizes yeah. are, because since this box is also well, going to include the special edition codex, you will want this to, you want those units to be legal out of the box as well. Absolutely. Well, and that's the reason why I said three, because I figure you're going to have the canonist. I figure you're probably going to have a pendant engine to get to 25 models. You'd have to have a unit of three in there or three other individuals. And when you're building an army box or like what the army boxes we saw with uh, Apocalypse, it's typically one character, two or three units of troops, a specialist unit, and then like uh, a big like machine, you know, so a dreadnought, a vehicle, a, a, a walker type thing. And obviously they've shown off the new Penitent engine, so I imagine that will be in here. Um, the Seraphim, the Canonist, and the Pendant Engine gets, gets, gets you five. Ten Sisters at least will get you to 15. And then there's ten other models, which uh, – the other thing I'd like to see is I'd love there to be like a new a new unit that we don't even know of yet. Um, or like – and I know this is one that we've talked about in the past. Um, the Militara uh, – oh gosh, what are they called? The the basically the imperial cultists with the fratera um, the the frateris fratera militaris yeah like I think that'd be great to like just drop like a ten man unit of that in there and be like oh yeah no you get two five man you, you know battle sisters units and then like a ten person like chaff unit to kind of screen them I think that'd be cool but we've also seen nothing on that uh, front of those models like actually coming out <laughs> right I and that's one of those models like I've said for a while like I would love to see those. Because it's something that none of the other, I mean, short of like conscripts for guard, it, it's something that no other Imperial Army really has. And giving sisters some sort of like cheap, like really dirt cheap. I mean, it's a unit that should be absolutely garbage in combat, 
but mm-hmm. you know otherwise very very you know like cheap but also yeah just to fill in the board a lot let's see because i want to see the like what photos of sisters they've shown us uh from the one more thing so because it's kind of interesting because everything they've shown us so far in like the development of the new sisters codex and including even in that preview uh video that they showed at nova it's all been models that uh, we've already had. Like right. it's updates to old units. You know, it's a new, it's new Sisters of Battle, it's a new Canonist, it's a new Repentia, it's a new Penitent Engine. There's not been anything new. And I think the Sisters of Battle's Codex could absolutely, there's absolutely room in there to add new units to it. Yes. So yeah, so I'm, I'm watching through the video right now just to make, just to see what kind of stuff... Because like obviously we're seeing the new we're going to get the new Seraphim. Mm-hmm. There we're obviously getting the new Canonus. Now what's what's also is interesting is like I'm uh, there's a, well yeah it's, let's see looking through this <laughs> I'm kind no I'm just kind of doing some analysis on this as I'm like looking at the video and it's like there's like four or five different Seraphim shown. There's. And the, like, there's the Mistress of Repentance. There's the new Repentia shown. Lots of focus on the Penitent Engine. So, like, I think you're right that we're going to get Repentia in there. I think we're you're right. We're going to get Seraphim. But if like all the models, we might see a five u- five person unit of Seraphim. But what's also interesting is if you look at the preview images on the the article. They show six sisters. And that might like hmm. like they show six unique sisters. Like one with a storm bolter, one with a flamer standing on the the base of like the whatever burnt material she has set on fire. And then like one with the yeah. the, the, the big like uh relic on relic. Well on and it also it also wouldn't surprise me if like what we got with Shadow Spear um yeah shadow yeah shadow spear where we got 10 unique uh sisters of battle in this box that are different than the sisters of battle that'll come in the very box. yeah that would not surprise me either but let's see so we've let's say we've got we've got a canonist we've got a pennant engine we've got a five sister penchy unit that let's say we've got a five unit uh, or five-person uh, Seraphim unit, that's 12. And if we've got a six-person Sisters of Battle squad, that's 18. That still leaves us seven to play with. I could see maybe another character, and then we haven't seen... I think a, a repent or a repent. I think a Retributor squad's not out of the... Not at, not completely out there because we haven't seen the heavy bolter yet, and we know that that like that was one of the things they pre, they've done previews on is like here's how a sister with a heavy bolter looks. Mm-hmm. So we haven't seen that yet. Now whether that's going to be worked into the regular battle sister squad or not, we don't know yet. But uh, right. I I but I'm wondering I'm wondering if it's going to be unit of five seraphim because like I said, there's it looks like there's. Like three no helms and two helms shown. One of which is the sister yeah. superior with uh, the seraphim superior with like a plasma pistol and power sword, and then the rest seem to be like 
dual bolt pistol, dual flamers, or possibly dual inferno pistols, which would be nice to actually have models that have those. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking that's, we might get a squad of five seraphim, but of course, if we do that, who knows what the rest of it would be? They might also be holding, holding off. Maybe we get a plastic exorcist in there. I would not cry. Yeah, there, there was also in the later kind of the back and forth with uh, Robert on Twitter, he mentioned uh, a plastic repressor, which I didn't want to break his heart, but that ain't happening. <laughs> you know, I I put a plastic – no, I put a plastic repressor at a serious non-zero chance. And will it be in this box? Probably not. But I could no. see a plastic repressor actually being a thing that happens. It would be interesting Maybe. to see if they revitalize the emulator kit too because – it's been a while since they've put out anything new on a Rhino chassis. So, and granted, the emulator kit that we had before was not a bad kit. It was fine. It was, you know, Rhino chassis mm-hmm. plus the, but the Exorcist needs a new kit because it was a plastic and metal model and they don't do that anymore. Yep. And whether they do the pipe organ Exorcist or they go the more the way that Forge World used to put out uh, Sisters of Battle, like they put out exorcists that look more like whirlwind tanks. Yeah, yeah. I prefer the pipe organ look. The, the pipe organ is I is really cool, yeah. but it even for the 40k universe and 40k design sense, it's a bit overdone. And I say that as somebody who owns and has painted three of them. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing as the DJ booth. That <laughs> it no, it it takes the DJ booth and cranks that shit up to like 15. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is way over the top. One other um one other thing that I just thought about as I'm looking at the black uh my Blackstone Fortress models, I wonder if they would potentially re-release like that priest out of out of that because they've got a plastic priest that, now. Yeah, that having a plastic uh Ministorm priest would be good, and that's one that they might put in. So that would yeah. that would be another character spot. And this other thing, it's like I think there's a hospitaler that they haven't like we know they're they've mm-hmm. redesigned the hospitaler so that we haven't seen and that would be a character that could be in there it just inquisitor depends. karamazov yeah no yes. that, yeah, that's no. A, that is one i don't see happening <laughs> yeah that's what i would like to see yeah. but no <laughs> well it's interesting as like i said i'm kind of been looking at the like start collecting boxes and like the apoc boxes and most of them only typically have one like unique character like one HQ, because I imagine, as you mentioned, with this being, you know, getting the codex in the box, they're, they're wanting this to be like, pick this up. You can play this. So I expect you'll have at least two troops. You'll have at least one HQ. But I imagine you'll probably have a fast attack and a heavy as well and or an elite. That's what I was thinking, because I penetrated engines a heavy, right? Yes. So going off of what, I, you know, Canonist Sisters of Battle, Seraphim, Penitent Engine, Repentia and uh, Dominion. That gives you every single force work slot. That gives you two troops, one HQ, fast attack, heavy, and an elite. You just boom, cover all your bases. Here you go. Here's one option for each of the each of the force work slots. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely. I don't, it'll be interesting to see what they got. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we'll get some more details as we get closer. And I'm going to be trying to order one ASAP. I, I want this, and I, I want this very badly. Uh, even though I have enough plastic sisters, it'll be, or I have enough metal sisters, it'll be nice to have, like, especially like the new canonists and stuff like that. Uh, 
it will be nice to have more stuff and more options and to have be able to get these options like if i need to pad things out more as as the line <laughs> goes further even though it'll make the rest of my uh the rest of my sisters look a little bit dumpy by comparison just you know because the the proportions on characters have changed in the last 20 years <laughs> Because a lot of the sisters, like the standard, like stock sisters models, are like second edition era. So they're oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah they have they are well past the uh, the need for an update. Or I should say maybe maybe sixteen years. I think they're like two thousand three. Because they they released that army like at the tail end of second is when they first started putting it out, and then the third edition rulebook actually added more options than the second edition codex had, which came out like a month before it. All right, and then finally, from Drew Davenport, who didn't quite make the cut for these questions for episode 200, so we'll hit him here. Hi, preferred enemies. It's Drew. Congrats on getting to 200 episodes. Thank you, Drew. In celebration of such, I have a couple of discussion points for you guys, and you can pick and choose to your leisure. Uh, since the cursed episode didn't have letters, here are a few. One, what is your guys' favorite kit to pick apart for kit bashing or just love the look of? Um, that's a richard question because i don't do a lot of kit bashing gosh um (laughs) for i mean i do most of my kit bashing in orcs and i i really gotta say that the the truck kit and the 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 battle wagon kit just have a lot of great bits that you can just throw on anything yeah <laughs> that are really great so i've i've got two that i love using the uh, militarum tempestus kit has just all sorts of awesome bits heads weapons just everything that you can use on basically any non-power or infantry unit for almost any faction uh which is great and then the one i really love to use for my corn army is the corn uh, bloodbound uh, box from Sigmar because there's just so many cool corn axes and, you know, beefy dudes that look angry, uh, which works for any corn army. <laughs> and then I guess for me, it's, it's Harlequins and dark Eldar. If you get them at about the same times, the heads can swap between the Harlequins and the, like the witches or the reavers and, any of them because and that gives you more variety in how the people look so i do a lot of head swaps with with between all those kits and then for me like the only army i've done a lot of kit bashing on has been like chaos marines and honestly as nice as like the new chaos marine kit is and it's a very good kit i still like the previous chaos space marine kit because it had a sprue in there that had a lot of like chaos god specific stuff so mm-hmm. god specific banners god specific heads god specific shoulder pads and then just like a lot of extra bits another one that's really good the chaos spawn kit is also great for just having weird bits weird organic bits to throw onto things yeah the the possessed kit for that same reason oh, yeah the possessed kit's another fantastic one if you want to just I- like make your stuff look just weird Outside of playing the 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 time that I played Corn Demon Cannon, you were required to take a unit of possessed to fill out the force work. Nobody's bought a possessed kit to actually play possessed. They buy it to kit bash. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> I like the the Beast of Nurgle kit. 
it is it is pretty great because there's like the options to put together like essentially like you only get one beast of nurgle out of that that box box. (laughs) i hate that about the box but like you get the bits to build like three different beasts of nurgle Uh so like you've got a bunch of extra nurgle bits that i totally used to like make a uh the their their dreadnought equivalent the name escapes me right now. What the Hellbrute? The Hellbrute. Hellbrute? Yes. Yeah, and make make a Nurgle themed Hellbrute. Mm-hmm. Alright, next one. Uh what are your thoughts on the whole legacy repointing of every model GW has ever made and giving it use again in eighth edition? Do you think tournaments will allow these in lists the same as Forge World, or do you think this will be only for narrative and open play stuff? I ask because I have a feeling my Legion of the Damned is about to be squatted. No, they're going to the legacy zone, not squatted. Yeah. I think you'll see legacy events, but I don't think they'll be allowed in most tournaments. No, I, I, I agree. And how do I, I think it's, how do I feel about it? I think it's about time. And at this point, there's only a very small subset of models and factions that will be affected. We don't know when exactly this is going to hit. So, like, there's obviously stuff that, still needs to be covered at and we talked about this last episode like inquisition needs to be covered um mm-hmm. sisters of silence need to be covered uh and legion of the damned is like one of the last space marine-esque factions that yeah it needs to have some official rules there's no reason for them to be fully uh you know legacyized legacyized yeah. legacyized <laughs> i do I, you know what i could actually see a supplement style actual book oh, yeah. with a lot of fluff for them. Hey, and figure out a out. way to make Primaris Legion of the Damned. There we go. <laughs> well, I have one request. I have one request for the legacy of models. Give me points for Doom Rider. If there's nothing else out of this, I want points for an evil, strung out cocaine biker. It's been it's been too long. I need rules. I need my hit. <laughs> you do cocaine. <laughs> I do cocaine. Yeah, he goes in the he goes in the death clock uh, kill team for sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I really miss a bunch of my old orc and tyranid characters, but they never had models. Yeah. So see, that's that's the thing. It's they, like this only uh, fixes models that don't get that aren't made anymore. It doesn't fix models that were never made. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, do how do I feel about it? It's like I'm fine with them being only open and narrative because competitive play, yeah. you kind of need to get work these out. And it's in GW. Let's face it, it's in GW's interest to keep the current scene current with new plastic kits, so that it's so that it's easy for people to get them and then use them in their lists. Yeah. Whereas at this point, like the same as Forge World, Forge World is just considered part of 40k at this point, really. I, you, I mean, you see occasionally people like, oh, I hate the Forge Worlds and included, but Forge World is just part of the game now. Just and and it Forge, is what it is. Forge Worlds getting updates in chapter approved, like they get repointed, so it's not Forge Worlds being treated differently than this legacy stuff is being treated. So, right. I, I, I agree. I think Forge Worlds is just going to be part of it. Yep. 
And then he says, and then finally, a sort of lore question that might have an impact on the game later on down the line. If I'm not mistaken, the Primaris Marines were made from the gene seeds of each Primarch in hopes of fixing genetic flaws. Does this mean that some of those Primaris Marines are sons of heretic Primarchs with possibly starting to have the same flaws? The Blood Angels Codex talks about their tall boys starting to feel the red thirst. Who is it to say that Primaris Emperor's Children chapters don't start getting to too high and mighty and go renegade to join the Emperor's Children? An idea I had when looking at most to make a mostly premier successor chapter out of the new codex. Do you think that chaos might get access to taller, hardier space Marines or just stick with scaling them up with the new line? Um, this one actually, I think has been addressed, maybe not in the codexes, but I believe in some of the uh, fiction that basically, uh, when call started working on the Primaris project way back when Bobby G was first alive, like right after the heresy, they basically got rid of all the, uh, I believe and now that there may be other sources that contradict this, but from what I understand, like any of the gene seed for chapters that were determined to be like, uh, Traitoris excommunicatus was basically destroyed. They're, they're like, just consider it's like, this is tainted and no good anymore. Like, we, we, mm-hmm. we don't need any of that anymore. It's done. The genetic flaws on the existing ones, like, yes, the Blood Angels thing, like, it's starting to hint that the Red Thirst is becoming a thing. Because they they've been hoping for a while that, hey, the Primaris Blood Angels aren't showing any, any a bit of the flaw. But now maybe they are starting to a little bit. Um, the Primaris Archangels don't seem like they're traitor. Oh, wait, nope, they're starting to turn. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Primaris Space Wolves just have to shave a little bit more often than everyone else, but we're not really sure why. <laughs> uh, but now, so do I think that they're going to get Primaris equivalent uh, space Chaos Space Marines from Bad Gene Seed? No. Do I think they're going to get it through people like Fabius Bile? Yeah. Because they've already hinted. about ready to say. Yeah, they've hinted at both <laughs> Fabius Bile and also at like the uh, the Plague Surgeons from uh, the Death Guard right. getting their hands on, like per- trying to get their hands on Primaris Gene Seed because they want to figure out how to make, if they can make Primaris equivalents. Yeah. So I don't think that it's, it, that, that is off the table as far as being a possibility, but I don't think it's going to come from Primaris going rogue necessarily. I think yeah. it'll go from, and it'll come from uh, like Fabius Bile, or and we know that uh, Urian Rackarth's been trying to get his hands on some Primaris Marines to experiment on. So, yeah. and he has been known. He like <laughs> there's I actually have stories. Uh, like I have books. That have him like working deals with Fabius Bile. So like Fabius Bile got some of his his knowledge and technology from Urian Rackarth. So mm-hmm. th- this is definitely a thing that could happen, but I don't think it's going to come from like Primaris Gone Wild. So does that mean we're going to have Primaris Dark Eldar? No, oh no. Well, we already do. They're called grotesques. We could get <laughs> bigger and better grotesques. They're already pretty big. They're already pretty good. At that point, you just strap them into a floating chair and call them a Talos. Okay. <laughs> so he can finishes. That's all I've got for today. Love each time a new episode pops up to entertain me, opening up the store in the mornings and when painting, here's to another 200 episodes and hopefully a guard codex review just in time for ninth edition. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Did he say ninth or 19th? He said ninth, but <laughs> considering that eighth edition is an endless living edition, he might be, he might be mm-hmm. onto something. <laughs> well, thank you, Drew. Thank you very much. And yeah, so Uh, And if you have a question or questions or 
a critique that you want to have read on the air, uh, there's three good ways to get to those to us. First is our email address, which is our first names at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Second is our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash preferredenemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow us. We post what we're working on, what we're going to. We'll have links posted to the stream event happening at Iron Halo, uh, news that's coming out, things like that. We provide commentary. People are welcome to post there as well uh third is twitter we are at preferred enemy on twitter singular so uh you can post messages to us there as well we collect all our messages from there throw them in the hopper and try to get through as many as we can in an episode uh before you know we run out of time in our first segment and also we have a patreon uh if you want to help support the show and help us go to events and keep our equipment uh up to date and in good working condition and help us pay for hosting on our hosting all the episodes that we've ever put out all 200 plus of them uh you can help support us there we are at patreon.com slash preferred enemies uh, and it is basically just an online tip jar. We don't lock any of our shows behind a paywall. So if you want to help support us, even if it's just a buck a month, and again, no obligation to do so, but if you want to help, you know, help us out with a buck a month, enough people put in a buck, it all adds up. So now we'll go ahead and take a break for our sponsor identification. And when we come back, we'll be talking Old Hammer. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, And when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding G-board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time to talk about our main topic, which is Old Hammer and how Old Hammer relates to 8th edition. Now, uh, we put out a post earlier today 
and and especially like we're gonna be talking about old hammer and what the uh, and the old foc and things like that is there anything our listeners like to uh to hear and we had a number of listeners point out that well uh, the foc isn't really old hammer old hammer is first and second edition and the foc didn't come out until third so that's not old and uh (laughs) Not, not, not to disparage anyone, but we are specifically talking about uh, the when when we are talking old hammer. So we're going to define terms here at the beginning of the, the discussion, so you know where we're coming from. Yeah, we are talking about the the trend I have seen in online discussion, and I know others have seen as well. Uh, that uh, is basically referring to, oh, I liked it. You know, I like the game. Like, I don't like all these these new detachment styles and I don't like the fact that people can mix armies and make soup. I prefer old hammer when there was one four sword chart and everyone played one army and it got rid of, and we didn't have all these weird units like Lords of war and flyers and things like that. We just had the one four sword chart and everyone was happy. And that, and to the point where you see events now, like you'll see it referred to as like retro hammer or old hammer where Mm-hmm. It's using the old four sword chart. Like they've made a custom detachment that is the old four sword chart, and like it may even use like old school like fourth or f- probably fifth edition or maybe fifth or sixth edition missions, depending. And especially because there's a lot of players that see fifth edition as the pinnacle of like 40k game design. They didn't like. They feel like everything's been downhill since then, and so they. They sometimes try to replicate that in eighth edition because, like, well, we can't go back and play fifth edition because there's a lot of units that don't have rules, or we like the rules for eighth edition, but we hate the army composition and we think it's it's very broken and and doesn't doesn't feel like the way we like 40k. So we're gonna play 40k, but with like fifth edition army construction and missions. So that's what we are talking about. And if you go back to now, now some of those uh, listeners. We're absolutely right that if you go back to those old editions, first edition had points, but it didn't really have any army co- construction rules at all. In fact, Rogue Trader had a GM that you basically had. Right. And any game of Rogue Trader had three players. You had player on side A, player on side B, and the GM who determined the scenario, determined what armies people could actually bring, etc. There was no real attempt at balancing other than points values that were just kind of pulled out of nowhere. Second edition had points and it had, while it didn't have a force org chart, it did have units were under like three or four different classifications. So there were like HQs, squads, support, and allied units, which allied could be from other codexes. And it's like you had to spend like at least half your points on squads. You couldn't spend more than like, and it differed from some, like some codexes had slightly different percentages, but like you couldn't spend more than a quarter of your points on HQs. You couldn't spend less than half your points on squads. So, you know, it's, so the effect was very similar to a four sword chart, but a lot more freeform. And then third edition. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I'll just say looking at the Eldar codex from that time, even though we say squads, the Eldar codex squads banshees are squads um fire dragons are squads all the aspect warriors were considered squads because they were just normal troops right which i think then later got broken into elites and squads right or troops yeah and then third edition came out and then third edition was a was a major change to the game to the to the point where it rendered every previous codex 
obsolete, kind of like the switch over to 8th edition. But instead of releasing separate books, the second half of the uh, 3rd edition coda, or the second half of the 3rd edition rulebook is codex, like mini codexes. So everybody could play with their stuff right out the gate. Which for ours was indexes. Yeah, yeah, basically yep. it was the same purpose. Because unfortunately there's too much stuff in the game now to put them all in one book. Right, right. But, uh, you know, that's, that was one way to address the issue. And as I mentioned earlier, it's like the sisters section, they actually, like, we didn't have, like, retributor squads until this book. Like, they weren't in the second edition sisters box. Or Sisters mm-hmm. Codex. They weren't... Uh, the Seraphim squad, I don't think, was in the... Sis- well, they may, no, I think they may have had Seraphim. They, they had Seraphim. But they like I think the Celestian and Retributor squads kind of got added there. Yeah, so that the third edition book introduced what we now know as the Force Organization Chart. The standard Force Organization Chart that was reprinted in third, fourth, or it was printed in third, and then fourth... 5th, 6th, and 7th all had this, and this was the compul- where you had a compulsory choice of you must have 1 HQ and you must have 2 troops. Then beyond that, you could have 1 additional HQ, 4 more troops for a total of 6, 3 elites, 3 fast attacks, 3 heavy supports. That- of course, in 7th edition, how many people actually use that? Yeah. <laughs> True, and that's something we'll get into, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> And so that was how army for the the longest stretch of the game from let's see this came out in 2000 and let's see second edition of the third edition but okay so the third edition 40k first published in 1998 okay so sisters are definitely 20 years old in metal mhm yeah, <laughs> but yeah. 1998 is when uh 3rd edition 40k came out and until what 2016 i think is when 8th edition came out uh 2017 because it was right after i moved okay so 2000 so nearly 20 years of 40k was built on this army construction standard mm-hmm. so that's why like Eighth edition was a huge change from this, and uh, then in addition, if you look at sixth edition, we had the sixth edition inc- introduced the next big change to force organization, and that was the addition of the allies chart and the allied detachment, which was optional and could be one had to have an HQ, had to have one troop, could have an additional troop, and then could have one each of elite fast attack or and heavy support. And then what you were allowed to take as an ally depended on which faction you were playing. <laughs> but it couldn't be the same faction that you were playing. So yeah, so so there was, you had, a, lot of, there was a lot of weird rules. <laughs> there were a lot of r- weird rules. And I remember like we you can go back and listen to our old episodes like when sixth edition came out and like, oh crap, this allied chart, that's kinda cool and weird and Yeah, neat. well and it had some purposes. You kind of were branching out into Eldar to add to your Tau because yeah. you were like, Hey, I can finally get psychic defense. Yes. Yeah. I had Eldrad and some war a couple of Warwalkers and some Dire Avengers, and that was my allied detachment for for playing Taudar. 
And and you'll also notice, like, when I was talking about the second edition stuff, allies were not new. Allies were in the second edition. Like, a lot of the second edition codexes will say, like, oh, hey, f- you can take up to a quarter of your points from this codex. Uh, like, I was looking at my Chaos Codex, and you can take up to a quarter of the points of your army from the Orcs Codex. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Eldar didn't get that cool. We could have a quarter of our army from Harlequins, <laughs> which were in the Codex already. Right, but it was like you couldn't build an all Harlequins, or you, I guess you, you could. could. It was, your options were you could do up to 25% Harlequin or 100% Harlequin. <laughs> Those were your two options for them. <laughs> And you even saw some of that when you got into like third edition books later on, like once they get started getting their own code, especially like the 3.5 era codexes, because like I remember the sisters codex said you could also take like units from like Imperial Guard to fill like as inquisitorial troops. Uh, I believe Grey Knights had the same thing yeah. accessible. Well, and things like the 3.5 Chaos Codex were like, Iron Warriors could take Basilisks and things like that. And there were a ton of really cool ways to, like, build flavorful allied armies. Right. And they were all very specific. So that that is kind of what we're talking about. Like, when we're, when we're talking Old Hammer, we're really talking about the Force Org chart. And then in older editions, there were ways to kind of work with that and play around with it a little bit. But that's the kind of thing that people are wanting to and not everyone uh but and that's part of why we're having this discussion is what you know so there are players who would like to see a return to that as kind of like the standard and so what the discussion i want to have today is like is like is that a viable thing that we could do like more at a match play level than anything. Like narrative and open, it should just be like, you know, build what fits the story, build what you want, you know, open plays like fill what you want. But at a competitive play level, at a match play level, would, is that a viable choice? It would that fix the issues that exist within the game? Well, I, I don't want to kind of, pr- I don't want to preload the conversation too much. So, I, well, so I think, I think a good place to start is, why are why are we having this discussion right now? Like, why is this becoming more of a thing? It's because when you look at top tier competitive lists, you see like the Lord Discordant, where somebody's running three Lords Discord uh, Lords Discordant and two other HQs and a Lord of War and or somebody's running you know a Space Marine army that has nothing but characters or you know the old Assassins army that was nothing but individual characters and made up of elites and you don't see troops anymore. So that's, I think, the reason why people are having this discussion because, like, oh, they want to go back to the simpler time of requiring everybody to take the same thing and, you know, one to one to two HQ, two to six troops, et cetera. Um, and I think that's really what's driving the discussion because on the competitive side, despite GW's efforts to balance the different detachments, you see certain detachments a lot more than others. Yeah. And also, you'll notice there are a couple of battlefield roles that we didn't mention when we we're talking about the old force org chart, and that includes super heavies, you know, Lords of War and mm. flyers, which flyers as their own slot was kind of introduced, I believe, in eighth until then they were like just a variant of fast attack. Yeah. Or Lords of War or, or right. heavy <laughs> in some cases. Yeah. But <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So now we have you know, it's like there are units that. You know, from our discussion earlier, talking about like, hey, if I, you're going to play Eldar, we'll play this, you know, Alatok flyer list. That's a thing that 
didn't exist, could not exist in Mm -hmm. previous editions of the game. And much less could it exist in the sense of, like, a lot of those lists have two flyer wings, so they're running six flyers. So it's like, or, you know, a knight army was not a thing you could do. And when knights were first introduced in, like, six and stuff, like, you ran, like, a knight... Or, and I think they eventually, like, gave you the ability to run an army that was just knights, but there was really not a good way to mix and match them with anything else. Or you, or you could, but it's like you ran a knight and then ran, like, as an allied detachment or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, yeah, that's another aspect of it is it's not just like we're not seeing troops on there. It's like there's army t- unit types that, that there are some people that don't like that they were introduced in the first place. You know, they didn't... Yeah. Lords of War was something... Okay, Lords of War are fine, but that's for Apocalypse only. It should not touch the table on 40k. Flyers are fine, but that should never be in 40k. That doesn't belong on the table. The Flyers should be their own little game, which technically with Aeronautica Imperialis, they have again. But again, mm. that's not the same <laughs> thing. Also, I thought it was funny. I was going back through the Rogue Trader book. Rogue Trader book has rules for aircraft. including Including like <laughs> with them like operating at different altitudes and how to do handle bank turns. Like there's a whole, there's like several pages of move vehicle movement rules for like aircraft. So it's not that it's not that new an idea in 40 K just saying. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I think it's an interesting discussion and I, and like I said, I understand the logic behind it and this is why one of the things that we talked about with our friendly formats and things like that, other types of events, and I think you might see this with legacy events now too, this is why I want different types of events. I think it's perfectly acceptable to have an old hammer event where you use a fifth edition force or charge chart, no lords of war, no flyers, you know, one detachment, mono faction, et cetera. But I think it's also just as, just as reasonable to have, you know, a eighth edition, you know, imperial soup list event as well so i I think as long as people i think it's deserves to be out there as an option but i don't think it's inherently better than what we currently have either so i'll I'll echo kevin on on this regards in the fact that i would like to play um old hammer because i like sometimes going back to the Here's my one HQ, two troops, and, and having that force org chart, having no allies, so I could I just play Eldar. But it's something that I don't think I would want to do competitively. I think it's more just a not flavor of the month, but it's a more like I want to go back and have options to play things. Right. And the other thing yep. about it is GW's not going back. So they're not they, they do what they can and they strive to balance eighth edition. We get points updates. We get new rules to fix things. And so 8th feels living while going back to like 5th edition for, for Old Hammer would just be like, I'm visiting a history book. I'm not, I'm not in something that's growing, living, trying to be balanced. And whatever problems that existed in 5th edition, because trust me, there were problems. Yeah. They're still there. Yeah. <laughs> so it, yes, it's absolutely. It's kind of nice. I, so I, I see it 5th edition Old Hammer as something to go back to and play for fun but i don't see it being the competitive scene yeah and one of the things that i'd point out about the game design philosophy for fifth edition versus the way it is now 
in fifth edition, you did have like varieties of like army compositions that you could make. And those were built into like character rules. Like you took, you know, a chapter master on a bike and then you could take more bikes. Yes. Or you could, uh, Take take, take a, a chaos character uh, and unlock those cult troops. Right. Yeah. Orc war boss could let you take elite knobs as troops instead. So like that those rules don't exist on those characters anymore. But that's really kind of what the the new like alternate force orgs are for. Right. Uh, technically in sixth or seventh, that's what formations kind of became started, started to do from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they were also still doing that. Say, you know, that you still had codexes had, that have that built in in those are, in yeah. those editions. Where, no, and I remember thinking, oh, cool! When the elder get a new codex, does that mean if I take like Jane Zar as an HQ, I could have Banshees as troops? And the answer was no. And I was disappointed. <laughs> but yeah, because I remember we had lots of conversations in old episodes about movement of things because i think you you alluded to like tyranids having like too many elites yeah so that was yeah we're getting yeah. into some i i think it's easy to look at that edition those editions of the game with rose-colored glasses and that you know that heavy sense of nostalgia of man i had really good times in those games and man the the game has changed and i haven't and i don't want that feeling to go away and that's that is not an uncommon it's the reason why people don't like to see new versions of role-playing games. Like, the, like this is the edition I played. It's like, I played second edition D&D, and that's my favorite, and I hated third, and I hated fourth, and, you know, and, and I won't even look at fifth. It's like, you know, and that's... And if that's the flavor you want to play, nobody's stopping you. But let's not look at that and say, oh, that was the pinnacle of design, and it's perfect, and nothing will ever touch it. And I don't think we should look at 40K that, that way either. It's like... Let's acknowledge that during fifth edition, we like we collectively as a player base, not just the four of us talking here, but as a player base, there was a lot of bitching about how broken certain things were in fifth edition and how hard it was to build certain armies. Let's take like the the Tyranid example is perfect. And mm-hmm. if you listen to old episodes and read other commentary from back in the day, what was one of the problems with Tyranids? They had a lot of really good elite units. And in a standard force org chart, you could have three. Yep. Yep. Oh, that was my biggest thing is that the force org chart is built for Imperial armies. It's built for space Marines. It's everything that space Marines have slot very nicely into that. It works for almost no other faction because Eldar don't build their armies that way. Tyranids don't build their forces that way. Orcs don't build their forces that way. So, that was always the thing that irritated me is it worked really, really well for power armor space marines and very poorly for almost anything else. Right. And certain armies, they had like armies were built with ways to kind of cheat the system a bit. We talked about like the characters changing, like moving a unit from one force or like battlefield role to another. Uh, there were entire armies where it's like, oh, yeah, Blood Angels, 5th edition Blood Angels. Yeah, you can just take assault troops as, like, assault marines as troops. Yeah. You can even take them without their jetpacks, which now means they get vehicles at, like, 50 points off, which meant, like, free Razorbacks or nearly free Razorbacks for everyone, which turned out to be tor- horrible for game balance. Little known yeah. fact. Uh, Space Wolves got extra HQs. Yep. Because they could, what, take, like, two HQs per slot? Something like that, yeah. No, the, the two HQs sure. for slots were the demons. We well, had yeah, demon heralds, but which, for the yeah. space wolves, it was just the rune priest. You could take multiple per slot. Okay, uh, right. 
But Space Wolves did have a glut of characters. Right. Eldar had a glut of characters. Yeah. Um, Imperial Guard, as much as everyone knows, we love Imperial Guard. Uh, Imperial Guard had entire troop choices that broke the Force Org chart because you didn't take mm-hmm. one infantry squad. You took a platoon, which was like one to five or one to six infantry squads and a command squad. Yeah. Inside one troop, tr- one troop choice. Uh, so to make guard work, and that goes back like the third edition codex. I haven't, I don't have a second edition guard codex, but the third edition rule book, pl- their troop choice is a platoon. So like going back to third edition and the introduction of the force org chart, that's a thing. That this is that that was a thing as soon as third edition started, and it was the only way to make that army fit and make it feel right. So you had to, the army already had to kind of cheat the system a bit to fit into that force org mm-hmm. chart. See, and I say, I think going there, part of why I would like to go back at times is nostalgia factor. Yes. But the other part we, we've hinted at is, I don't think there's enough squishies on a table right now. And the main squishies on every army is your troops. And I yep. just, I'm sorry, but objective security is nice. But apparently it's not nice enough to get troops as readily on the board as I think they need to be. I don't disagree with you. And the other four sorgs options, the other detachment options don't make those required. And a lot of the better choices are often not troops. And that was a thing we also used to talk about a lot, the troops tax. Like, I'm going to take the cheapest possible. Like, that's why Space Marine Scouts were a popular yep. troop choice. Because like, well, I have to take my troop tax... And then I can take the things that I want to take. And, or cultists. These are my cult, these are my troop tax cultists. I will take them and then I'll actually take like the heavy supports and elites that I want to take. And yeah, that, the force org chart was a limitation that had to be kind of worked through. And we still see it to an extent that today, although there's a lot more flexible options. And at something else that uh, kind of got brought up briefly was the addition of formations in 7th edition, which let us never go back Ugh. to that. That was... Yeah, yeah that was awful. <laughs> yeah, because those... Now, I will say I think they found a better way to do it, and that's in the Battalion War Scrolls that they have in Age of Sigmar, where... You pay a points cost to even use the battalion. Yeah. And then you actually have to pay the points for the things inside the battalion. Yeah. I, yeah. When they first introduced formations, I thought they were really cool. Yes. And most all of the, I was pretty much okay with most all of the formations until they started to do like, the, the whole army-wide formation, super formation yes. things, and then added free stuff. The free stuff... The is, free stuff was the biggest problem. Well, God, remember the Mechanicus War Convocation? Duh. That, Ooh, was, yeah. that was the... That one, the Riptide Wing, the, like, the Space Marine Battle Company. Yeah. Those were all particularly... And, and again, you could not argue that any of those were not fluffy. They were fluffy as hell. They had plenty of story possibility. But between, like, the the battle company, oh, yeah, free rhinos and drop pods for everyone. And back when rhinos, back when drop pods were really good. Yeah. Or, yeah, free, free, I, free upgrades for, free war gear upgrades for everyone in your war convocation, which could save you hundreds of points. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the Riptide Wing. It's the best possible version of the Riptide. Why would you not take this? To the point where, because of the way the Allies chart worked, everybody, that, like, if you were taking Riptides, you took three Riptide Wings. Didn't matter if you were pl- playing Tau or not. Because, yeah, yeah the, the, the year that you went through and counted how many Riptides we had on tables at uh, Midwest Conquest Tennis... And it was it was like outnumbering most other things of note by a lot, including the um, Eldar Wraith Knights, which everyone said was a major problem back then. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one thing I I did think was cool in Seventh Edition, but like nobody used them because formations were just better. But like, remember that a lot of those codexes came with their own four sword charts. Yes. That yes. were different than the standard four sword chart. Yeah, where it's and like different. They fitted. They fit the army. It's like didn't the like the dark Eldar one? I want to say required you to take like one troop and one fast attack choice. Think you know it was, it was stuff like that. It was like, and you got different benefits for using the that four sword chart. Yeah, like the orc one required yeah. you to take like five troops. Yeah, and like two elites or something like that. Those were interesting because those could have been fluffy, although nobody used them, as you mentioned, because like Death Death Wing was like an HQ in Terminator armor and then two units of Terminators or Raven Wing, you know, was uh, somebody on a bike and then you got these units of bikes. They were interesting, but they weren't they weren't as competitive or they weren't as useful, as powerful as the other ones. So it just was a poor implementation of a good idea. But you can kind of see it's like that's where. Like maybe that is the seed for what we have now, as far as the uh, the multiple detachment types, yeah. and also, mm-hmm. and that's like one of the things. Like again, going back to the 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 retro hammer event that Renegade won, and I and I am not meaning to drag the Renegade crew down. They ran a very good event, and it it was fine. It was fun to play yeah. in, but I do think one of the things we we risk losing when we go to that, especially because eighth edition does not have ways to shift units around into other, to try to shoehorn things into the force org chart is we do lose that army flexibility. Like, especially for a friendly event, especially for an event where you are trying to make neat thematic armies rather than just playing old style armies. You need to have that flexibility and there are ways to keep that flexibility under control. There are other limitations you can put on top of it for the event itself. I don't see the old Force Org chart as necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. I don't think, though, that it is the cure-all to what it, what ails 8th edition. It, it is not. A, you know, Besides the fact that it does require a lot of reworking to make things possible. Cause like, for example, uh, some, uh, a suggestion somebody brought up for the episode was like the tank company. Like you can't mm-hmm. play a tank company in a force org because you need to have troops. Like you can have a tank commander yep. and you can have your Lehman rest battle tanks and your heavy support slot, but you can't, but you're going to have to have troops in there unless you have a character that lets you run tr- tanks as troops, which yeah. the addition doesn't because again there's nothing that allows it because they're like eighth edition doesn't need it we have all these other detachment styles you have to have that same kind of flexibility you have to introduce 
all the weird cruft that was built on top of the old four-sword chart to make it remotely function. And the other thing we lose besides the flexibility is the... I think we're incorrect in saying that, oh, well, that's the, the problem is all these unit types that we didn't allow before, all the, or all these army builds that abuse the system and we don't, you know, shouldn't be allowed. You know, it's like we didn't have these unit types, you know, these unit types back in the day. Why do we need them now? We should just get rid of that. And one thing I have, have found is like, you don't like, but just by cutting out a certain chunk of the game, doesn't net especially if you're not doing it with any any sense for fine analysis you're not fixing the game you are just shifting the balance somewhere else if you say all we're going to use is the force org chart the old force org chart all you've done is now players are going to look at ways to optimize and exploit the 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 new force org chart they're going to figure out the best possible army or armies they can build within that it doesn't mean the game's going to be inherently more balanced because some armies are going to, as as we discussed with older editions and the the problems with certain armies not fitting in that Force Org chart, is some armies are going to fit that better than others just because of how they've been designed. Yeah, I mean, for example, if you require everybody to have one HQ and two troops, Sisters of Battle are at a disadvantage because they only have one troop. So there's certain armies where it's like... E- we don't have other options, you know, so it is, they're not built the same way. Um, Death Guard, for example, granted, they have two, uh, a couple, I guess they have a couple choices. They have cultists if anybody ever actually wanted to take them. But it's either take expensive plague marine units or cheap, bad uh, plague zombies. And like, that's kind of it. Like, you don't have other options. And if you're having to spend, if you're required to spend points on those, then you're not taking other things that make that army unique and and special in the you know on the table so it's you're you're exactly right it just shifts the it just shifts the meta to to something else and unfortunately a lot of times i think an undercurrent of a lot of these conversations especially with older players is oh my army is not as good as it was in fifth edition why can't we go back to fifth edition when my army was good not to take a shot at you, Richard, but I see this a lot with like Grey Knight players. Oh, well, Grey Knight sucked out, but we should go back to play 5th edition because in 5th, we were great. And it's like, yeah. that's not a reason to want to go back to play because that's when your army was really good. Well, like, and also, let, let's look at why yeah, why were Grey Knights so good in 5th edition? Because they were not well designed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, Exactly. So it's I, there's an undercurrent of some people, and like I said not everybody, but some people that want to play old hammer want to play old hammer because they know how to manipulate old hammer and they know how to build lists for that. And I don't know. I, on the flip side of that, like on the flip side, I think there's absolutely cases that could be made about restricting or limiting some of the stuff that's in, in the current eighth edition Force Orgs. You know, I, I think you could make an argument about running like full Lord of War army lists or limiting things like the Supreme Command detachment. Yeah, most to, tournaments already limited that one. To get rid of some of the more egregious areas where the current edition is is being abused. Um, but I don't think the answer is necessarily, oh, let's just go back to the only one way to play that favors these armies instead of these armies. It just seems, I don't know, it, it 
it seems like you're switching things up a lot to just switch him up. Yeah, and and with a game this like as we mentioned last episode, what there's 24 factions at least. Like the mm-hmm. there's 24 at least that are getting featured in Psychic Awakening at some point or other. 24 it, armies with do, in some cases dozens of units per codex. Finding a perfect balance point on that where not only is every unit use like every unit is pointed properly but every unit is a fully viable choice in and of itself or works well within its codex is a herculean task yeah and again this you know if you look back at fifth edition it's not like back in fifth edition and again i'm kind of using that as the point because that's the point where you know after that we started seeing allies and formations like fifth edition is is still that kind of like design pinnacle that people tend to look at Mm-hmm. The game was not perfect in fifth edition, not even remotely close. Mm-hmm. Besides the fact that it was stagnant as hell, yeah. And and again, Codex schedule re- release schedule is really outside of this. But even then, it's like the game was not well designed. And even then, it's like even within the codexes that were doing well, it didn't mean you took every unit within those codexes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, you know, it didn't mean that all choices were were competitively viable. And again, com- competition and match play is where this conversation tends to come up a lot of it also tends to be a dislike of mixed faction armies uh you know whether you know the the soup which again i still disagree with the the assessment that soup includes anything that has any army that has more than one faction in it but i i you know it's it's a point that that that's how people refer to them now as super armies. Yeah. So so what have you, you know, whatever. But uh, pure faction armies increasingly became, or I guess decreasingly were a thing as sixth and seventh edition rolled on, and eighth edition allowed people to actually build the kind of armies that they wanted to build. You know, like near, like and also like that was always the the difficulty back in like 5th, 6th, 7th edition is like how does GW balance the idea of they want to make a game that's fun and narrative and has all these cool rules with we have to find a game that's balanced and works as a tournament level and the answer was they mm-hmm. really couldn't at the time. Now they've got the tools to actually do it and allow creative army construction. And yeah, it does lead to some weirdness that people don't like. But is it the but is the problem that mono ar- mono faction armies can't be played? Obviously not. You have all the tools there to play them. It's just are they competitively vi- not even viable, but it's like optimal. Optimal. Yeah, they're optimal. Go. Yeah, are they competitively optimal? Maybe not. But things change. And I, I mean, I hate, to, and, and I'm not trying to like call out all the grognards necessarily, or all the people who are just like, I know I liked it better this way, and that's fine. You can like it better that way, and and that is a choice you can make. Just realize that that's not where the community is necessarily going. Yeah. No, and that's the thing. It's like I, again, I, I love the fact that there are these type of events out there where more and more people are running various types of events, old hammer events, friendly events, power level events, competitive events. That's great. And I want to see that because I want people to be able to play this game with people in any of its forms. 
But that said, like to expect that the competitive game is going to backtrack or that like, oh, I'm not going to play until GW goes back to the force org. It, that's not happening. Like the, the game, the game works better now on with the flexibility they have under the current system. And they're not going to go back on that. Now, now here's here's though uh, to play a little bit of devil's advocate, you know. And again, we're saying like, yeah, it's nice to have these these armies or have the or it's nice to have these options available as far as like variants of play. Something I really haven't seen from anyone who who ten- tends to put forth these arguments of, well, you know, the old force org chart was better, and we should play the game that way. Okay, fine. Put your money where your mouth is. Start running events. Run RTTs. Run GTs run them with that restriction start collecting the data tell me you know it's yeah. like show me not no don't, don't just say oh well, the game's better because when i play with my friends we have more fun that way if you think the game is legitimately better played that way show it so what's interesting in in uh, that you mentioned that um and i'm pulling up the event so there was actually an event that occurred today that i if we weren't recording i probably would have actually tried to go to <laughs> um but uh, dang it, let me find the group that that's actually running it. So they they call it 40k OG is what they're kind of referring to their event format as. So uh, it's 50 power level, mono faction, no assassins, no Lord of Lord of War, no Forge World, and basically that's that's the uh, that's the thing. It's like you have to be. I think let me find the event here real quick because I believe as well you also have to run a patrol or a battalion. I think that's the only only format that's available, but uh, I want to find the name of the group that actually is running it just to kind of shout them out because they do run these events periodically up at like one of the the one of the stores, Imperial Outpost uh, up here in Phoenix. And of course, I can't find the specific event, but I can find like some of the posts about it. Uh, but yeah, like it's uh, they've been running it, I think, quarterly. So they've been running it for about a year now. But like I said, uh, 50 power level, which I kind of like because I like power level mono faction. So no allies, no, you know, multiple codexes, no assassins, no Lord of War, no Forge World models. And like apparently they've been well attended. Um, But uh, Old Wolf Studios looks like it's the group that's kind of been uh, running a lot of the events that's been running these formatted events. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's a neat way to play. It's a kind of, you know, it's, it's explicitly a retro hammer thing. It's explicitly like smaller games. It's meant to be, you know, at 50 power level, it's about a thousand to twelve fifty points. So you're getting the games done quicker. Um, so like it seems to be drawing a lot of people and that's good. And I think there's a lot of uh, interest in that format around here. And I'd like to see more people do stuff like that. But I, I but again, I also on the flip side, there's other people that are playing ITC tournaments this weekend as well. So it's not like people have stopped playing ITC format eighth edition to play this either. So right. like I said, variety is the spice of life. I like having, I like having both options. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I'm not trying to, I don't want to come across and I may have come across maybe this way that like, I'm trying to say all you people who want to play fifth edition, your ideas are bad and you should feel bad. No, I'm not saying that I am saying I'm not I don't, explicitly saying that. I'm not explicitly saying. <laughs> I am. I am. Not, what I am saying is, I don't think without major changes to how army codexes are currently made, because they are not made with old design philosophy in mind. 
I don't think you can shoehorn armies into fifth edition style force org charts. I don't, I don't think you can do that and assume that the game is just going to be like, well, that's the game that this, this game would be much better if it was done that way. It'll be different, but it doesn't, you know, you're going, you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. If your goal mm. is like, I want to get rid of the things that I don't like in 40k. Yeah, but you're going to end up inadvertently getting rid of a lot of the things that might actually be pretty cool in 40k. But at the same time, if you want to do this and you want to make the point that, yeah, this is the way that 40k should be played and it would be, it would play way better if it was done this way, then do it. Show it. You know, uh, it, it's, it's an honest challenge. I'm not being, trying to be sarcastic or anything. If you think this is the way to do it, do it and like we talked about with the whole like why we do list building you're like you know why we do list articles and and, or list reviews and and what makes a good player it's like do it a lot run you know run events for and it's going to take time like run events like every couple of weeks for a year get other people to run events for you Mm -hmm. or you know in your format for a year or so and then at the end of that year put together the info and say okay so here's what was really good at like the itc level events Here's what was really good at our events, and we feel like this, like, you know, Mark, like, we saw these, you know, the, it fixed these issues, but we also saw these issues. These armies underperformed, these armies overperformed, and let that be a thing. But you've got yep. to put forth the time to do it to show to show that, that that is actually the case. There's a lot of data that's been collected at this point about how... 8th edition is playing with the current rule, like with the current rule set, with the current army construction method, with the current set of competitive missions. There, you know, there's tons of data on that, which is one of the reasons why, you know, ITC has been able to refine their mission style. Plus, they ask a lot of people after, you know, after the games have been played, they put out an open call like, okay, so for this next year, what needs to be changed? And they do put it forth, but you know nobody's asking the question of like, do we just need to ditch all this the, these force org charts and just go back to the old one? And I don't think you'd see many people voting for that necessarily who are playing competitively regular, you know, over and over again. But also, again, the goal of playing competitively is very different than playing casually. And if your goal in playing with the new force org chart or playing with the old force org chart is because you like how the game plays better that's more a casual personal decision than what's Mm -hmm. good for the competitive and having an opinion there doesn't you know doesn't necessarily make you wrong to have that opinion it's not even necessarily an opinion based on bad data it's but it is based on anecdotal data it's based on what you like and if that's how you like to play that if you can find like-minded people to play with you, by all means, do that. But I don't think it's necessarily a fix for what all the... it It's just it's going to just change what issues are, there are with the game, not necessarily fix the existing ones. Well, like, I think one of the things that we've mentioned, and I've, and I've kind of used this example a couple of times, on our old podcast uh, where we talk about RPGs, one of the things that one of our guests mentioned when I think it was 4th edition, in, in regards to 4th edition D&D, Every game is like the world's longest beta test. They they could do all the testing they have, and then people can break it and play it how they want. So no matter what uh, game balance mechanics you put in, 
there are always going to be people that figure out ways to break the game and use it in ways that are unintended by the designers because you have a team of, you know, even the biggest game designer team might have, you know, a hundred people running, writing rules and testing it. There are way more than a hundred people that play 40 K. So you're never going to find all of the, all of the specifics and all the different ways that somebody can break it. So all you can really do is test it as much as possible and be responsive to when the game does break to rebalance it. And I think GW deserves a ton of credit over the last, you know, two years, three years, especially for responding to how the game changes. Remember, like the rule of three, the limitations on detachments, uh, all these things have been come up as a response to the way that, you know, the game was played because GW didn't think that, oh, well, if we make, you know, jump, uh, Thunderhammer Jump Lords, really, really good. Well, we're never going to play it with 16 of those, but somebody might, you know. Yeah. So, like, oh, now we have to put rules in to restrict that. But as long as they keep learning, that's how they make the game better. And I think as long as they're willing to keep updating the game, the current competitive version of the game will always be the best version. Yeah. But that said, going back and playing old versions, I'm absolutely down for that. Like, I like playing old games. Um, and again, is they don't burn your fifth edition rule book. I still have mine on my shelf. So if, you know, at some point, one of the things we've talked about is revisiting some of those editions. I'm all for that. And I want to, I want to do that because I like playing games and I like playing different types of games. Kevin, I thought of a new game we can try. I'm going to call sure, it that? assault hammer where you remove the shooting <laughs> phase and you remove overwatch. <laughs> so I'm pretty, down for that. Yeah, I know you, me and I, Richard could probably, I, get I have a, I have a, an inkling of an idea that my tower going to really suck in this version <laughs> of the game. You could bring temple. Oh, no, no, sorry. Um, you could bring, for um, like three years. I ran an entire, that, that's all you played was like assault. Years, I ran an entire corn army. I played an entire corn army that had two pistols in it in the entire. Well, okay. Not true because the cultists have pistols, but that would I would fire pistols like two or three times per game. Like I would literally make like two or three shots and the rest of it was just uh, they're going to run and then they're going to assault. Kevin, my past two years at Iron Halo, I was running Slanesh. I had fewer guns than that. I had like zero. Yeah, but I did. Well. Yeah, but I did well with my army. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how well I do in a couple weeks. Yeah, Karn's plasma pistol killed someone. Yep. Was it Karn? Uh, yeah. yeah. Killed himself. <laughs> You're not taking Actually, my skull. Blam. Long- <laughs> for a long time, I couldn't run Karn in that list because I was running KDK and he wasn't part of that fact, that codex. Well, that yeah. is true. So I was running and I'm actually got him on my shelf right here. I was running my uh, Lord on Juggernaut with a power fist and a, and a axe of corn. So he didn't even have a pistol. <laughs> But yeah, I think we are going to carry forward with our plans to to play some like play second, fourth, sixth, and eighth editions uh, with some of our existing armies and see how those armies like kind of go back and revisit how those armies behave in those editions. And some of this is just going to be us like relearning how to play second edition 40k. Trust me, I totally <laughs> forgot how psychology rules work. I'll have to make sure I have scatter and jam dice. <laughs> I have scatter dice. Still. Yeah, I have scatter dice. It's like jam. I think I might still have jam dice somewhere. The, the jam, or they called sustained fire dice. Oh, well, I think they were sustained fire dice because oh. then they had the jam symbol on them. 
where, yeah. where like you could yeah you can fire your your uh, storm bolter in rapid fire but oh look it jammed and now you're gonna have to spend a turn clearing it i have to open up my necromunda box and get out my templates yes i have yeah <laughs> i for, fortunately i saved a set of of templates and yeah necromunda has the exact like the new necromunda has the same templates yeah. in it but so i i as, as a quick aside, since you mentioned templates, I do want to point out that even when people are like, nope, we should go back and play Old Hammer with this, nobody is objecting bringing back templates. I have not seen anybody suggest that, oh, yeah, no, we should bring back the flame template and have those argue again. <laughs> now, like, I, I have seen the people who argue about, like, they want armor facing back or they want vehicles sure. to, like, have their weapons, like, be ba- like you sure, can't shoot sure. behind fire you. Yeah, yeah, they want fire arcs and and facings I, back. I, I I've also seen the the you know why not introduce a mechanic that it has you know a risk reward to you know deep striking and then have a little picture yeah. of a scatter die. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly nobody really wants that anymore, do they? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny, like, I was going back, you know, I got my second edition rule books out of storage, and I was flipping through them briefly. It wasn't just, like, vehicles that had facings. Car- like, individual models all had facings. You could only shoot in a 45-degree arc by model. Screw but that. Wasn't, like, well, no, my you favorite- put orders for, like, if this is an Overwatch, you could shoot anyone who came in your arc with it that was in with range? Yes. See? My favorite was that the tail end of 7th when Imperial Knights, per the FAQ, could not shoot units that were directly in front of them. <laughs> because yeah, because they, the fire arc, because the, the fire arcs on their arm weapons did not cross, did not overlap into until like about you like can't, you eight can't minute, hear me eight inches sighing. out <laughs> or or kill yeah. bubbles. Yeah, where Jeez. yeah, you, <laughs> your range of your weapon, the like that was as far as it could kill models. Even if the yeah. range, even if the unit was in range, well, and yeah. and and let's. I mean, really, when we get down to all of this, some of it is nostalgia, and some of it is just the no, absolutely normal human tendency to have distrust and contempt for new ideas. Like when we have something that we as when we as human beings get very comfortable with and very familiar with, and we like very much, then anything that takes something we like and deviates it from that, we tend to have negative reactions to. It's normal human psychology. Uh, And sometimes, as we mentioned last episode, there are people that get very angry about these things. Let us talk about the fact that there's a lot of people to this day that are very unhappy that not just that Age of Sigmar exists, but more importantly, that the old Warhammer fantasy system went away because what they loved was moving big rectangular blobs of troops around the table and learning how to wheel those rectangles around just so to set up optimal charges and figure out counter charges and things like that. They're not wrong for liking those things. And they're not even wrong for disliking that the new game that replaced Warhammer Fantasy Battles doesn't have that anymore. But it does kind of do a disservice to think that everything has been ruined because of that. Because there are other games that have that, and there's nothing stopping you from playing that. Although it may get harder as time goes on to find new players, because that that is the downside of, like, as much as we talk about, like, yeah, it'd be fun to play old games. It's one thing to play old games with your friends. 
Sure. It's another thing to find random people to find pickup games or find a group events that have those. No, and that's fair. And that is an absolutely fair concern is that, you know, people are always going to play the majority of the people are always playing the current edition. But at the same time, though, uh, part of this is, yes, the company is pushing the new game design and stuff. But also it's because the new game designs are almost tip are typically better and not to get in, you know, not to deviate back to the D and D stuff too much. But when fourth edition D and D came out, there was a reason there's some people who love fourth edition D and D, but there's a reason why a large section of those people went off and played Pathfinder because they didn't like that. So they played a different game. And I think if, you know, if eighth edition Warhammer 40 K did, you know, was a bad game, and wasn't simple to play and had all these major, major flaws, people would stop playing it and they'd go play something else. Yeah. I do believe that. So like the reason why people play this is yes, that is what is being supported, but also it's a better game. Like I, I've played fantasy. I don't miss, I don't, I like pushing like big blocks of infantry around the table, but I don't miss the fact that those games took four or five hours to play. Yeah, it's like, and also, you know, like talking about like, well, if this game was bad, people, you know, people would go play something else. That was happening in fifth edition 40k. That's around the same yeah. time, like War Machine got started getting really big because it offered people a game that was smaller, faster, more competitive, more. I, I can't speak for the balance of War Machine. I never, never played. And I know they went through mm-hmm. a couple of major design iterations that like, like they completely, I know between like first and second or second and third, they completely changed up like point iterations and things, you know, like how the, the point system worked and things like that. Mostly because, th- again, as game companies tend to find, people don't play the game necessarily the way you intend them to. Because like War Machine, one of the big things that people found was people were not playing the big steam jacks and war jacks that they kind of built the game around that turned into infantry machine. Because infantry units were just better. And so they had to come up with new mechanics that let you, like, get free points worth of warjacks that you could take to encourage people to use them or figure out ways to rebalance them to make them. So it's like all games have these problems. But, yeah, people will find the game that speaks to what they're wanting. And if people are getting burned out on something, then they'll go. They will move to something else. But it also says something that 8th edition has larger event turnouts than ever. Like, there are more GTs and more people at them than, you know, at competitive events than ever before. Well, and anecdotally, like, you, you, I'm in a lot of Warhammer 40k groups on on Facebook. And just anecdotally, I see a lot of people like, oh, you know, I haven't played since 4th edition, but I want to come back in because 8th edition looks good and looks fun. So, you know, there's more people coming. All the people that were like leaving the hobby in fourth and fifth edition are it feels like they're starting to come back either because that's kind of the natural cycle. As we mentioned last episode, you and Dennis played, you know, in third edition and kind of came back around in fifth. So maybe there's a natural cycle there. But also, like, I think a large part of it is that the game's good again and the company is, you know, part of that's the company and they're they're handling things better and they're being more responsive. But as we've mentioned, this is the best version of 40K that they've ever made. It's the simplest. It's the cleanest. It's the it's the fastest to play. It's the most fun. Like, it's the best version they've had. There's, And that's why it's popular, and that's why people are playing it. Yeah. Is it a perfect game? No. 
But as you pointed out earlier, GW is doing more than they ever have before to try to find the glaring issues with it and fix them. Mm-hmm. And, and and to actually go to events and say, like, oh, this is how people are actually playing the game. Maybe we need, you know, we need to either encourage this or, hey, this is really not what we meant. Let's figure out ways to fix this. Because, yeah, that first Adepticon they went to when they found out, oh, yeah, wait a minute. Why would somebody take nine flying hive tyrants? Oh, turns out you can. That's the reason why they yeah. can't. It's like, yeah, yeah, we need to fix that. <laughs> and they did. So I was it a perfect addition out the gate? Oh, no, absolutely not. But they've gotten, at least from a competitive standpoint, they've gotten way, way better. And people are having fun with it. Yeah, and people are coming back to it. And people are coming back, like even, again, talking fantasy to Age of Sigmar. There are plenty of fantasy players who have come back to Age of Sigmar now that the game's like, oh, yeah, here's actually a point value system. And it's and they retweak it every year to make sure that things stay balanced. Mm-hmm. And, oh, they retweak, they, they revise the core rules a little bit to address a couple issues. And, hey, the game's actually kind of fun now. And it's, and it's, it's doing well. And at the same time, it's like, oh, but I want to move my large blocks of troops around. Well, let me recommend Kings of War, which has a third edition coming out now. Or let me yeah. recommend Ninth Age, you know, which is basically let's take Warhammer 8th, the Fantasy 8th edition and just tack an edition onto it and tweak a few things that we didn't like about it. And yeah, those games, th- there are options still out there. So again, if you want to play Old Hammer, Play Old Hammer. Don't necessarily expect everyone else to want to play Old Hammer too. If you think your Old Hammer system, Retro Hammer, whatever you want to call it, if you think it's superior, then put it out there and encourage people to play it. And then find out what works. Find out what doesn't. And then see, like, does the, you know, maybe you find out, maybe you do that and you find out, no, this really does work and we think it's a, it's a good alternate format. Put that out there and see if people run with it. If not, maybe you find, oh, hey, it turns out I, thought i liked all these things but now it turns out i see why i see why they're doing that you might learn a bit about the game about yourself and about game design trying out the new stuff too so don't be afraid to do that either yeah no we are definitely living in like a golden age of game design where anybody can put their ideas out there so put your ideas out there engage with them engage with the community get feedback be willing to take and listen to feedback um and yeah like that's yeah, I think there's there's a lot of cool ways to play the game. And I, the more important thing is just get to play games and play how you want to play. Yep, absolutely. Well, I think we've uh, beaten this topic into the ground. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll switch over real quick to hobby progress before we close out the night. Um, hobby progress-wise, I have been painting lots of... Uh, actually, Daughters of Cain for Age of Sigmar. I keep bringing up Age of Sigmar, and that's because I'm... I am using this as an opportunity to both get an army that I've had for about a year now uh, off the shelf and get painted and to take the contrast paints through, uh, through their paces. Um, I'm doing, and I've been posting pictures of it to my Instagram. And uh, so I pretty much like, I got all the models assembled. I have like 40 old metal witches, which is like why I decided I would go daughters of Cain. Cause like, it's the only way to use them. But, uh, I I primed them all with Vallejo uh, airbrush pri- uh, gray primer, which actually ends up being about the same color tone as Gray Sear spray, pi- spray primer. Mm-hmm. 
And then I've been like one night I did all the skin on it. Like I, well, I did a few test models first just to make sure that it was going to work. But like once I figured out, okay, this is actually giving me the effect that I want. Like one night I did the skin on like all 60 models that I have put together so far. And then I did the hair on all 60 models. And then the next night I did the robes and like the tabards and things like that on all 60 models. And I've got to say, contrast both has been giving me the the kinds of effects I want and it's been doing it quickly. Uh, is it up? Is it perfect? No, like some, there, some of them have a little bit more pooling than I might like, especially. So like I, I did the tabards all in just like straight up blood angels red and it works pretty well for small areas of cloth for like the flag on what, like the, the banner on one of the units. It was a little bit more pooly than I liked. So I had to like dry brush with Mephiston red to kind of smooth it out a bit. But like for the skin, oh gosh, the skin has been like I did a 50 50 mix of uh, contrast medium and Gilliman flesh. And on top of like a light gray primer, you just get this really nice, like pale skin effect. And like on the models that have like a lot of those models have like abs sculpted on them, you know, like the metal ones, they come, it comes across perfectly with just like one coat. I don't have to do any highlights. I don't have to do any shading for cranking out large numbers of models with organic shapes on them and organic textures. It's damn near perfect. It's giving me just the effects I really want. I've got to, you know, it's like you've got to be careful about your control and like how how you apply it. But it's it is really helping me do what I. It's doing what I hoped it would do. So I'm very happy with that. Uh, next week, though, I'm going to switch off of that. I'm going to be working on building, building and painting uh, terrain. I'm going to be running a kill team event at one of our local stores. So I just want to make sure I've got some kill, got all my kill team table terrain together for that so fortunately that should go pretty quickly as far as even just getting like a basic paint job down on it so nice. uh, yeah and i know dennis has also been using contrast paints yeah i guess for my progress um yeah i finally tried out the contrast paints on the um havocs for the chaos space marines and oh my gosh i love it i think i'm going to convert to contrast paints for painting anything else that needs to be painted because as rob said it just brings out the details so well and also it paints to my style one thick coat i'm good (laughs) 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 yes i am the (laughs) anti-dustin but um duncan sorry the Uh, anti-duncan anti-duncan yeah but um no because i especially if i'm going to be on stream i need to get all these guys painted and may have them looking nice and so I'm going to finish out adding touch-ups on the um, cast base marines because I need to add the gold trim and maybe do some highlights after that or something. And then finish airbrushing multiple different colors on the big demons because I need to get the, like, the Keeper of Secrets and the Named One and the et cetera all ready to go. And I've got two weeks to get them all done. You can do it. I know I can do it. It's just doing yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I finally finished putting together all of my um, Untamed Beasts, and then I I got them primed. I actually primed them in the, the Wraithbone white, uh-huh. and I'm planning on doing them in contrast colors. Oh, cool. So... Well, and for them, again, there's a lots of organic shapes and stuff. It'll go. Yeah. Well, and, uh, our friend, uh, Tyler Bruns 
uh, he like he painted yeah. his up in uh, with contrast, and yeah, and they look really good. Yeah. So yeah, I think it'll go well. And yeah, enjoy playing with the con. I've I've really liked the contrast paints. Is it what I would use for everything? No, but for for the stuff I've been using it on, it's fantastic. Cool. Nice. Um, yeah, so I've been working on a little bit more with contrast on my Alpha Legion stuff, um, but I haven't made too much more progress on that, just kind of preparing that. I've got a little bit of time. I don't have to have those ready till uh, Renegade. Um, the other thing is I've been getting my 3D printers back up and running, and because uh, I'd ran into a little bit of an issue with one of them, so I had to get a couple of replacement parts, and right now I'm printing off... Uh, modular buildings so i think for the next few weeks i'll be printing those off because we're gonna uh hopefully be announcing some stuff soon about midwest conquest and hopefully having a larger event than we had last year so well so uh yeah so that pretty much wraps up our show for episode 201 episode 202 will be our recording at iron halo when hopefully dennis will not be taking home the wooden spoon (laughs) Woohoo. <laughs> uh, I will be taking the town R out for a second spin and seeing if I can uh, do if I can repeat if I if I can repeat a three and two performance, I'll be very happy. So uh, so looking forward to that. So we'll have us. We'll have Jason on the show. We'll probably have some people from other other shows and other groups. Uh, just make it a big group recording again. So look forward to having that. That tends to be the norm at there. Y- yep. And I and actually Jason contacted me is like so are, is the plan still to re- record afterwards I'm like as far as I know that's that's what we do <laughs> unless so, you're kicking us out <laughs> yeah unless, unless you're kicking us out that's what we're podcast gonna do. and pizza yep although I'll have yeah. to be the one who's like I don't know if I can have the pizza this Aww. I'll have to have a salad that's the <laughs> that is the downside of of having to get your blood pressure under control I mean the good news is I'm I am 30 pounds lighter than I was last year and I'm uh my blood pressure is like now very well into the like normal human being zone but uh but the 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 flip side of that is it takes constant vigilance and constant not eating the salty fun foods sometimes so yeah but I'll take that over my head exploding so it's a it's a fair trade off fair yeah we we prefer that as well uh, yes <laughs> yeah. so from all of us here at preferred enemies i'm rob kevin dennis and richard good night good gaming and just remember just because it's new doesn't mean it's bad but just because it's old doesn't mean it's bad either Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.